gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) Hello everyone and welcome to episode 115 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host Dan. And I'm Brendan. And Brendan, all is quiet in the Ancient One household today. Yeah. No floods, no other emergencies. We're so, ready to roll, So man. far. So far, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We are going to talk about one of the new battle tomes. Yeah, we've got... So two books came out this Saturday prior to our recording, Beasts of Chaos and Gits, and we're going to be talking about <laughs> Beasts of Chaos in this episode. A faction that desperately needed a rewrite yeah. that lived at the bottom until the White Dwarf update where they made the decision to improve the rend on all the War Scrolls kind of unilaterally and then drop the points to such a place where you could field oodles and oodles and oodles of models (laughs) a complaint that i saw from individuals was well my 2000 point list is now 3600 points like okay yeah that (laughs) the war scrolls were junk yeah the mechanics were junk and they aren't now yeah some real interesting things in this book i'm very excited to talk about beasts of chaos was my first warhammer fantasy army they were the beast men at that point in time so this is an army that has a very special place in my heart yes i have a natural affinity to you know, just because of all of the legacy models I own and <laughs> yeah, uh, and some sure. stuff. So I got a practice game in with it. We'll talk about very briefly in whispers. But I think this is a battle tome that folks who can embrace the change from the old set of rules are going to be very excited about. Okay. And then from individuals who really like complicated techie armies, this is one of those. Great. A lot of interactions, a lot of things you have to do between units to make everything work. Make everything work. You have a yeah. lot of decisions to make. We'll talk about it as we get into Emperor Lion. There's a lot of very creative decisions that you can make on the table to be a very frustrating player to play against, (laughs) which which I really think is one of the core values of what Beastmen have been historically as they've turned into the Beast of Chaos book. Great. And that's it. But that's a lot because there's a lot in here. There's a lot of War Scrolls in here, a lot of (laughs) monsters, especially. Fun, Um, fun. All right. We are ready to roll and we're going to jump into Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan, your hobby in the last couple weeks since yeah i've made some really good progress on my secret adepticon project nice i have specific targets i'd like to hit in february and then obviously in march i'm a little bit ahead of schedule but you know it's really easy to rest on those laurels with that and then let it drift past because i do need to finish with enough time to work on my skaven for spring rubicon so that that's done because that's only five weeks after that yeah correct that's very but then you know on top of that i've got just a couple of projects i want to get into you know I want to sit down and spend some time painting all the Slaves of Darkness stuff that... Because I, you know, I, I bought the one box, right? Mostly for the Battle Tome and Chosen models. Yeah. I won a second one at the Fall Rubicon. So I've, I've got a bunch of things to paint there. You know, I picked up a box of Chaos Warriors. I want to do that. Get myself up to a brick of 20. I actually have a banner bearer in the yeah, units. You know, so things like that. The Beast Book, you know, I'd like to work on painting stuff i was painting things in 2020 remember when we were going to go to when we were going to go to siege world and i had that really janky like waves of you can't kill me uh models yeah 
Oh boy, that was a list. So like there are things I want to work on. So I have some internal incentive to try and get these other things done first so that I can work on those things. Not that I don't want to be working on my Adepticon project, but the Skaven is going to be like... Oh, yeah. Just twisting arms to get this done. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to have you over here. We'll have to have a hobby night here and just sit and talk and relax and paint, you know? Yeah, I slam my head against the table. <laughs> <laughs> Since our hobby night has turned into something else. Yeah, it's, it's turned into board store. games. Yeah, that's that what I've got. sounds like you've done a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's I'm great. pretty happy with the progress. There's some green stuffing I have to do next, so I'm going to finish painting the stuff I have to paint today. Mm. Uh, we'll see how much time I have and get started on. It's easy green stuff work, which is nice. Okay, good. Yeah, not like some other things I've had to do. The original Adepticon Teams project was a lot of green stuffing. No one's actually ever seen those models yet, so I should finish them at some point. That right. seems like a smart idea. I think so. Yeah. If for nothing else, not to have them sitting around. You know, yeah, when it got canceled, show them off. the motivation fell right off a cliff. But of course. They're super cool. Cool. So I've made some progress on my Sylvaneth. I got a Warsong Revenant built and painted, and that was a neat project. It actually happened pretty quickly. What you know, after the show with Tyler, it was like, yeah, I probably should watch the battle reports and see what they're doing with the new book, mm-hmm. you know. And every single list, I must have watched half a dozen, every single list had a war song in it. They're so good. And like, okay, I need to take a war song revenant. So I built it, painted it, had a really good time with it, went pretty quickly really. It was probably about a ten or twelve hour it's, project. It's a much smaller model than you expect it to be in many yes, cases. It really is. But you know all the detail you can do and the things, you know, I converted this or that, snipped off these things and tried to make it my own as it were it was kind of funny because i really knew how long i had spent because i had started and finished gaunt's ghost audiobook while i was working on the model so that was at least 10 hours Mm -hmm. and whatever else it was on either end but that was really fun to get done i have built primed and first coat speed painted my 30 dryads i think i'm going to take some of those maybe as a brick but you know having 30 you have a lot of options yeah how you do that and then i have built and primed my two tree lords that are left for the list i'm going to try making good progress i'm hoping in the next couple of weeks that i can have everything done and ready to throw on a table somewhere and start playing this army awesome because i've got till the end of april to get really good with them or as good as i can get with them you know the weird thing about having sylvaneth now and seeing these other books and diving into these other books for the show it's like every time another book comes out i'm like oh god they're just gonna smack me around you know then i see another book it's like oh god they're gonna but then i haven't played them i don't know right and i've seen people you know in these battle reports use them in the way they do and it's like wow that's really good but i'm still excited to get them done and start rolling dice Pre-orders. We have Angron and the World Eaters. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that Angron model just continues to impress. I look really forward to seeing him as bloodthirsters on the table. Yeah, I'll bet. And I bet that model just flew off the shelves. I can't imagine it didn't. Our third trader Primarch, third, yeah. Yep, yep. Magnus, Mortarian, and then Angron. Angron now. And I saw a battle report where it was Angron and the World Eaters against Gilliman and his Ultramarines. Oh, it was so ugly, man. <laughs> I mean, you don't understand until you see, like, the Gilliman model, who's really big compared to normal Space Marines, right, next to Angron. And it was just Gilliman, like, literally had to almost crane his neck vertically to see Angron's face. It was so much bigger. That was not a pretty battle report, but... 
interesting. So that's really it for pre-orders, but there's a lot of stuff that came out with that. Releases, we've had, as you talked about earlier, Beasts and Gits are both out, new models, and those are looking good. That new Beast Lord looks really good. You it's, picked him up yesterday? Yeah, I have a myriad collection of various Beast Lords, and you know <laughs> yes. he'll, he'll fit right in. Other new models and stuff, but that's great. All that stuff coming out. That's it, really, for pre-orders and new releases. Games played, other than Sigmar. So I continue to do my Ultimate Admiral Age of Sail, but I have hit a brick wall because I got my eighth set of orders now. And it was to rescue an English ship that had been captured by the Spanish. This group of, like, four or five Spanish ships. So I went in, and I took, you know, as I talked about last time, some ships armed with carronades. I actually have, like, a fifth class of ship of the line so a bigger one that i purchased so it has more cannons more armor and stuff on it i pretty handily knocked out these five spanish ships they went either under or were captured or were driven away whatever and so we're moving back towards the release point and all of a sudden one of the other ships who's kind of behind is like hey there's a spanish ship of the line like what this thing is monstrous brendan and all of a sudden you get a set of orders from the admiralty you either kill or capture this thing Mm. and i'm going okay i can do that we pounded this thing i mean we were we were on either side of it going back and forth up and down and everything was just bouncing off of it and i'm going this is not good you sunk three of my ships out of my five i'm going okay we're gonna have to try this again i tried it again It's just bad. We're going to try some other tactics because obviously this is something I have to get through. But it was really interesting how this was like, you know, Battle Trafalgar type of level Mm. of ship of the line compared to what I have. I'm almost wondering, instead of trying to run up and down it, is there a way to cross the T on that? See, now we can, but eventually he's going to turn too. Even mm. though I have the wind gauge, so I do have the wind advantage, he's able to fire a broadside. And one broadside from him takes a sh- one of my ships down by like half. Mm-hmm. And it's just brutal. And the issue there is, unlike modern naval warfare, you know, like dreadnoughts or something. It's fixed well, angles. And you have the wind, too, to mm. consider. So if I want to turn with him and my ships are downwind, I'm turning into the wind. So I'm actually turning slower now all of a sudden. I can't match his turning speed as you much. run so. a boat into him? <laughs> I could ram him, sure. But he's got like 500 and some crew on this ship. And my ships have like... 100, 120, you know, so I'm not going to board him. That would just be insane. Anyway, interesting challenge and been really fun, though. And then I started playing that Gladius game I played before, the 40K game. It's always good sometimes to step away from something and you enjoy it more when you go back to it. I'm really enjoying it. It's really a lot of fun. At the present time, it's MySpace Marines versus Chaos and Traitor Guard. Yeah, so those are all my non-Sigmar things. How about you? I didn't realize I only had two races left in my third season, (gasps) so I I finished that out. We had already won the Drivers' Championship and the World Championship, so started the fourth season with the fastest car by a country mile. That's what you had said. You really souped the thing up. Yeah, so... I'll have to adjust the difficulty settings, maybe restart, because at this point there's no challenge and I have enough resources where I can maintain the fastest vehicle and I generate enough money where I can hire the best drivers. Well, that's and crazy. But that's not you. You like a challenge. Yeah. When you're playing a game of some kind. Yeah, you know, I'll enjoy the season or whatever where I, I have the fastest car, I have a very fast driver, you know, you know, we just annihilate. And in the back half of the season, we <laughs> finished 1-2, one, 1-2, two, one, two, one, one, oh, like it's just ugh. landslide. Yeah, yeah. But then I've been playing my Fire emblem three houses just kind of plugging away at that i think we're approaching the finish line on this you know everyone's you know kind of ending up in their late stage kit and that kind of thing so 
I really enjoy some of, like, one of the last missions I just played was a tougher one. It was kind of like one of those endless reinforcement missions. Mm. So it's finding a way to, you know, skirt around, you know, make their numbers useless in tight spaces. Oh, sure. I have a couple of characters that have very high defense or very high dexterity, which either means you're going to hit them and do no damage or you're not going to touch them at all. Okay. You know, so using them as the front line and then using some of my range stuff to, you know, support that make a slow advance and then use my fast things to go out hit them and then return behind my wall and just kind of keep doing that which is fun and then of course the game throws a wrench at you where now you have to go fast and i'm like okay you know i (laughs) i could do this yeah well got a couple of hail marys up my sleeve like we're good to go yeah it's been fun i've been told that the choices that i made are very unusual and very rare oh okay in in who i did or didn't side with and i went okay cool makes the game more interesting yeah. You know, once I'm oh. done, I'll have to look up, you know, how other things went and gone. Because I, I don't know that I'd necessarily replay it a bunch. Some of it's just so grindy. But yeah. Very so cool. I've been up to. And you got Sigmar Game in? Mm-hmm. Just yesterday. Yeah, just yesterday. You know, I met you at the GU to pick up our battle tomes, and then I went home and played a game of Beasts of Chaos versus Nick Ravity from the Dias cast. Yep. He brought a Slaves to Darkness list. I will be speaking from some level of an experiential opinion on some of these units. I played a list that had like eight different war scrolls and then two endless spells in it, you know, so it was Mm. pretty diverse, pretty different, and you know, I just made my best crack at, you know, what do I think would work. Now, Mm -hmm. we played the mission that definitely advantaged the Beasts of Chaos by no small mark. It's the new mission where it's four objectives, it's a small deployment zone, one in each of your territories, and then two on the side. Mm -hmm. And starting from the fourth battle round, the two on the side disappear, and you get an extra point if you have a galley champ contesting any of the ones on the side. We're going to talk about the mechanics of that book. This is very easy for a Beasts of Chaos player to do. Sure. But effectively, in my deployments and the way that things went, the strikes last that we handed out, using the terrain to the advantage to try and force choke points and Mm. using the different advantages that I have from the new deployment mechanic that we're going to talk about. I did manage to take the win in that, and it really felt like the way that I think Beasts of Chaos should be playing. Okay. Which was pretty cool. Ten Slaneshi Chosen are, you know, not something to chuckle about. A brick of 20 Nurgle Warriors with the Nurgle banner Mm. is, you know, no small feat to try and take down either. The speed advantage in the game that I had was real insignificant if i could keep him from putting his hands on me in the right places then you know i felt i was going to be able to win and i was able to do that because he had the units where you know as evidenced by when he did make contact with my army they things disappeared quickly (laughs) okay you know again we'll talk about it in the book the skill floor on this is real low if you make bad choices oh man it's gonna hurt you pay big Uh, yeah okay i'd be very interested to maybe make some changes but see how i fare in a mission where i am less advantaged than i was okay right you know the opportunity to basically just pop up on the objective and go cool your galley champs are never gonna come out here Mm -hmm. ever Mm -hmm. and i started here that's a pretty big advantage sure Cool. Yeah. Then we have events. Still encouraging people to sign up for Youngbloods. We're about a third of the way there. But Sigmar community, I'm just letting you guys know that the 40k Youngbloods is booked and it's got a waiting list. Hmm. We can do better than that. My goal, I think Doug's goal, is to get us to 10. Stretch goal would be to fill up, of course. Please reach out. We got to the end of the month to get more folks signed up and try to get us there. 
So we have a wait list too. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> How are signups for your main event and for teams going? So main events is at 212 out of 220. Oh, you're so there. Excellent. Yeah, feeling pretty good about that. And teams is at 51 out of 72. Mm. Mike's goal was to get us to 50. Okay. I'm sure we'll pick up a couple of teams here and there. And when you think about it, that's 204 players. Oh, yeah. It's uh, not a small thing. It's a lot of people in a room. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's great. And that, of course, is happening at the same time as another Age of Sigmar event, Dawnbringers, which is the mm-hmm. one-day 1K, and they've got 57 people. Wow. So, you know, you have 260-odd people in the room playing Age of Sigmar at the same time, which is crazy cool. That's great. Other events, uh, we have Spring Rubicon. We mm-hmm. talked about that. End of April. You got something, what, a Kansas City Open or yep. some a team event, right? Yeah, so tickets for KC Open going on sale on the 10th. You know, we're keeping an eye out on that. And is that, like, four-person teams then again? Uh, five-person teams. Five-person teams, okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Vault Wars got announced for October. Nice, October okay. October 21st and 22nd. Yep. 21st and 22nd, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so more information Ooh. will be coming on that. Yeah, the rest of the things coming up for spring, though, are... We don't know. Yeah, pretty limited. Mm-hmm. That same weekend as Spring Rubicon, there's a tournament in Detroit. Oh, okay. Can't remember the name of it, but... I'd rather drive half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, right? Yes. <laughs> Typically, don't, I, don't have, no I don't have to take vacation days to get to West Bend. <laughs> now, if I recall right, wasn't Siege World and NashCon kind of the same weekend? They usually? historically have been the same okay, weekend. Okay, yeah. Yes. So, okay. I definitely would rather drive to St. Louis than I would drive to wherever it is. It's St. Louis, right? Yeah. Than I would to... Nashville, a little closer. Just a little at bit. Least, yeah. And we don't know what else is coming up. There might be one or two other summer events that are going to drop, and mm-hmm. that would be great too. Okay, Coolio. I think that takes care of Whispers and yep. all that stuff. So let us move on to the main event and talk Beasts of Chaos. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. Listeners, we are ready to talk <laughs> Beasts of Chaos, and we're going to start with battle traits. Of course, we have sub-factions known as Great Phrase, and there are four of them, which we will discuss in detail. Uh, the one thing, Brendan, in terms of opening thoughts is no more summoning. That is a major change in terms of the mechanics for this army. There are some really other cool things that they do have, but that is just something not to look for in here. So mm. if you, you're digging, <laughs> you know what they say, if you're in a hole, you can stop digging now. Yeah. Uh, don't keep looking. We wanted to mention that right off the bat. Why don't you talk about Beast Herd Ambush, because I'm sure you used that very effectively yesterday. Yep. So this is a very familiar trait for those that used it there's one big difference i guess it's two big differences one is huge let's see if you the listener can spot it (laughs) so during deployment setting setting up a beast of chaos unit no keyword other than beast of chaos on the battlefield you can place it to one side and say they set up an ambush as a reserve unit at the end of your first and second movement phases you can set up any friendly reserve units that are in ambush and on the battlefield wholly within nine inches of the battlefield edge and more than nine inches from all enemy units at the start of the third battle round, Beasts of Chaos units that are still in reserve are destroyed. Add one to the charge roll for friendly Beasts of Chaos units that are set up on the battlefield in the same turn. And the designer note is, this battle trait allows you to deploy all of the units in your army as reserve units unless noted otherwise in the battle plan being used. So, everyone can go off table. Yep. It's not just Brayherd locked, and it's not just where before you could be Dark Walkers and put things on there. Mm-hmm. It's not one for one. It's everybody. It's now wholly within nine of the edge. And you get plus one to charge for everybody that's coming off of ambush. Mm-hmm. It's not has to be the first battle round and you know half in the second. 
there are literally no restrictions on this yeah. other than the distance right. when it's, you come in. Yeah. There's a lot of flexibility in this, and there's a lot of real screwing around that you can do uh, <laughs> Bet. with your opponent. We'll talk about some of the other things that you can play off board, you know, and some of the abilities that you can oh, do that yeah. you can do with that. It can be very unsettling to just say, everything I have is off table. <laughs> yeah, it would be fun to take pictures of your opponents every game when you say that to their face and just look at that picture of their face. Yeah. Like, okay, what's yeah, that explore? There's some real silliness in this that I enjoy where you can basically tell your opponent nothing about how you plan mm-hmm. on playing this game. Mm-hmm. And that is a pretty cool... It's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's a pretty cool tool to have in your tool belt. Absolutely. All right. Then we have Masters of the Wilderness in your hero phase. If the model picked to be your general is in reserve at the start of that phase, you receive one command point. So unlike normally where your general has to be on the board Mm -hmm. to get your command point, you don't have to bring your guy in. So special note here, it's your hero phase specifically. Yes. So you wouldn't pick up the one for your general in your opponent's turn, but you would pick up the one in your turn. Okay. The other big thing here is, there's a lot of words here, so bear with me. Yes. Yeah. Is the Rituals of Ruin. We're going to go through it slowly because there are a couple of things in here that are important distinctions to know and understand. Yes. So the first bit is for the heroes that are on the table. In your hero phase, you can carry out one of the heroic actions from the table below. There's four of them. With each friendly beast of chaos hero that is on the battlefield, in addition to any other heroic actions you can carry out with those heroes. So in this case, if you're going first, you get your one. If you're going second in your turn, you get your two heroic actions. These are all on top of that, and every hero can do one. And there's a restriction that we'll talk about in a little bit. If you do so, before resolving the effects of that heroic action, you must allocate D3 mortal wounds that cannot be negated to that hero or to another friendly Beast of Chaos unit within three inches of that hero. If those mortal wounds slay that hero, the heroic action has no effect. Makes sense. Cool. And this is kind of like when you used to be able to put wounds off on Ungors or something. Yeah, uh, this was the ritual summoning where you got to get extra points based on the number of mortal wounds you did. Yeah, that mechanic, yeah. So that's pretty cool. You have a lot of cheap heroes, so you're going to have the opportunity to do these pretty much whenever. But you can also carry out another... Well, yep. So action. in addition, in your hero phase, and remember, all of these are just in your hero phase. You don't get to do them in both yours and your opponent. Yep. Two of these I'd really like to be able to do in my opponent's turn. Sure. In your hero phase, you can carry out one of the heroic actions from the table below with one friendly beast of chaos hero that is in reserve. So if you have four in reserve, you can only do it with one of them. If you have four on the table, you can do actions with all of them. Yes. If you do so before resolving the effects of your heroic actions, you must allocate D3 mortal wounds that cannot be negated to that hero. You don't have a pass off here. If those mortal wounds slay that hero, the heroic action has no effect. The heroic action instructs you to pick an enemy unit. You must also pick one point on the battlefield. That point is considered to be the hero carrying out that heroic action for the purposes of measuring range and visibility. If the heroic action instructs you to pick a friendly unit, you must pick the hero carrying out that heroic action. So there's no restriction here, Brendan, of you have to pick a point that's farther than nine inches from an opponent. No, you can pick pick any board edge wherever you want. Okay, just to clarify that. The other thing I want to do is an example, just so we can kind of apply this. So let's say in your case, you have three heroes on the board Mm -hmm. and you have one off the board and it's your hero phase how many heroic actions can i do then you can do the normal heroic actions that you get so those heroic actions are still limited by one one hero okay 
Or in the current handbook, if you're going second and you're in the bottom half of the turn, you could you can pick do, two. You can do two. Okay. That the- has no bearing on your ability to do these actions with the final restriction of this, which is the same heroic action from the table cannot be carried out more than once per phase. Okay. So if you have three heroes on the board mm-hmm. and one hero off the table, you get to do whatever your normal set of heroic actions are from your normal list of four. Mm-hmm. One um, hero could do that. Yep. One hero can do that. And again, if you're going second and you're in the bottom half of the turn, you get to do your two. All of that is its own bucket. If I had three on the board, I could literally do four heroic actions. Each one of my three could do one off of this table, right? Mm -hmm. And then I could also do one off of the normal table. So don't think about this necessarily as heroic actions. This is another activity that occurs at the same time. This is rituals versus heroic actions. It is is. labeled as a heroic action in the sense of that's when it occurs. These are in addition to, but function independently of... So that's incredibly powerful because you're going to be able to do so many more heroic actions typically than your opponent's is. And again, I really wouldn't think about these as heroic actions as anything other than they occur at the same step. Okay. Because these are making no impact on your decision making with extra command okay, point, do you heal, finest. They are heroic actions. They occur at the start of the hero phase because that's when heroic actions occur. It's your turn, you pick the order that your abilities at any phase occur. Okay. That's the only restriction. Okay. Right, in terms Got of it. order of operations. So let's talk about the four heroic heroic actions, the four rituals of ruin that we can perform. Yes. They are labeled as heroic actions on page 63. Which was why I wanted to have, I know that was, again, listeners, kind of circular discussion there, but it can be kind of confusing, you know, that it is labeled as heroic actions. Yeah. They have their own independent bucket that they right, operate right. off of. Which is based on this particular... The Rituals yeah. of Ruin rule. So Dan, why don't you start by picking one? Okay, I'll pick Alpha Beast Instinct. I okay. like that one. Pick one friendly Beast of Chaos unit wholly within 12 of the Beast of Chaos hero carrying out this heroic action and visible to them. Do not take Battleshock test for that unit. Excellent. Don't have to spend a command point. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yep. <laughs> nice. Okay, how about you? The big one for me that's absolutely backbreaking, I think, is Blood Taunt. Oh. Pick one enemy unit within 12 inches of that hero carrying out this heroic action that is more than three inches from all friendly units and Mm, visible to mm, that mm. hero. Your opponent must make a 2d6 inch move with that unit. All of the models in that unit must finish that move as close as possible to the Beast of Chaos hero carrying out this heroic action and more than three inches from all other units in your army. Use this to pull screens out. Use this to pull heroes out of bubbles. Use this to pull units out of defensive protections. You're essentially moving your opponent's army in your Mm. hero face. (laughs) Wow. And so when I use this, it's a spike. Like, you know, it, it can go either direction. There was one time I rolled a 12 and that unit was nowhere where it was supposed to be Mm -hmm. and the other time i rolled the two it jostled a little bit but you know it didn't help me a ton right but on average you're going to be moving about seven seven. inches yes significant that's really really good warping curse is the other one that i'm going to pick pick one enemy unit within 12 inches of the beast of chaos hero who's carrying out this action invisible to them that unit suffers d6 mortal wounds okay little spike damage there not bad really good for picking out small heroes early Mm -hmm. because it is very difficult to get away from where this damage can be coming from. Well, and you know what's interesting about that is it's a heroic action, so any of your heroes, even if they're not wizards, can do this Mm -hmm. where typically it's a spell or something like a spell that does this kind of prayer. It's a spell. There's a role associated with it. For this, it's just take D3 mortal wounds. Any hero. Doesn't matter. And you take D6. (laughs) Wow. Then the last one, and this is the one that I think is maybe the least useful because again all of these are just in your turn only sure 
The brand of Wild Fury, you pick one friendly Beast of Chaos hero wholly within 12 inches of the Beast of Chaos hero carrying out this heroic action invisible to them. It can be the same hero. Mm-hmm. Until the end of this turn, friendly Beast of Chaos units have a ward of a 6+, plus while they are wholly within 12 inches of the hero you picked. Okay. Again, picking up a ward is nice. It being in your turn is quite a bit less useful. Because you are going to be aiming to handing out strikes last and those kinds of things so the punch back in your turn should hopefully if you've set it up correctly be minimal right. which means you shouldn't need a ward but you know that is not always the case before we get to heroes dan i'd like to call a small audible and talk about the herdstone first yeah i absolutely because the herdstone so is so fundamental to how yes, this army works absolutely your piece of terrain is the herdstone the setup for it is very simple Wholly within your territory, more than three inches from all objectives and other terrain features. Same alternating rules for setting it yep. up. It is impassable, so that's fine. But the rule that it carries is Entropic Lodestone. From the start of the second battle round, improve the rend characteristics of melee weapons used by friendly Beasts of Chaos units on the battlefield by one. Mm-hmm. From the fourth battle round on, it's two instead of one. Okay. So as we're going to talk about these War Scrolls, it's very important to understand that, for the most part, that they are not fixed objects. Mm-hmm. They have a profile that is going to improve markedly as the game continues. That is something that's just very important to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, We'll talk about these War Scrolls as their base rend, but you have to keep in mind as we're talking about it, units that make it to round two have plus one rend. Units that make it to round four have plus two rend. So your lowly ungors at rend two are pretty spicy. Yeah, sure. And that obviously is going to drive looking ahead if, if you're the kind of player that can do that and play that kind of 3D chess. Where do I want these guys on turn four? Yep. Where do I want this unit on turn four to take advantage of that rather than before where it just was always there? The more models you can have on the board by round four, the more likely you are to win that game. Okay. Because everything here is made of paper. Uh Okay. Yeah, so on to heroes. Yeah, heroes. Yeah, and unlike most Chaos Battle Tomes that are 90% heroes and 10% War Scrolls of units, it's quite the opposite (laughs) here. There's only a couple of heroes in the book, so keeping that understood is will make things simple, and your decisions are primarily going to be fixed around how many of what hero you take and what you arm them with, but the majority of your points are going to be all of the units. And one of the nice things here is almost all of the heroes are galley champs. Everybody eligible but the Shagath and yep. the Zangor Shaman. Yep. The other three are GCs. You've got decent choices, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with the Beast Lord. Six-inch move, four-up save, bravery seven, six wounds at 145. Mm-hmm. He's got one profile, one-inch range, five attacks, threes by threes, ren one, damage two. Mm-hmm. Right? And talk about scalability, ren two, ren three. Yes. Dual axes if the unmodified hit roll is a six. The target suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the damage characteristics and the attack sequence ends. Fair. He has hatred of heroes. If this unit's within three inches of an enemy hero, add one to hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly Beasts of Chaos units while they are wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Well, you know, and as an opponent, I know that. I could, unless you're targeting like a monstrous hero or something like that, Mm -hmm. I can be sure to keep my hero back far enough that you're not going to get that benefit. Or I could try to do that if my hero's in there too. He's also an imminently killable hero, right? There's no ward save. It's six wounds. It's a four-up save. Typically, he's going to be rolling fives or sixes or worse. The ability to heal is restricted exclusively to heroic recovery or if you included something like Emerald Life Swarm. So that's mm-hmm. it. There's no regeneration tricks. Like, when he goes, he goes. Right. He's got Call the Battle in the combat phase when you pick this unit to fight for the first time in that phase. You can pick one other friendly Brayherd unit that is not a hero. Brayherd are... <laughs> 
your goat people. Holyfin 12 of this unit has not yet fought in that phase. This unit and the other Brayherd unit can fight one after the other in the order of your choice. Awesome. Very common thing for foot heroes like this nowadays. Yep. It's fine. And then we have the great Bray Shaman. Who is the... In my mind, the best hero in this book. I think I'd rather take two of these than a Beast Lord and a Bray Shaman, honestly, if I was going to run a Beast Army. Skipping over to some of the final thoughts, I think your list writing for Beast of Chaos starts with two Bray Shamans and a Cockatrice, and we'll talk about what the Cockatrice does. Yeah. And that serves as the starting point of your army. They are so fundamental to what you want to be doing. Okay. So his five wounds, six inch move, five up save, seven bravery. He has a fetish staff, two inch range, three attacks, three by threes, no rend, at least for the first turn. (laughs) And two damage. He is a wizard. He's a one by one. And first special rule infused with bestial vigor at six inches to the range of heroic actions from the rituals of rune battle trait that we just talked about that you carry out with this unit. That's good. And it's auto. It's not like you have to roll for it or anything. Yep. So good. Awesome. When he's on the table, you keep him babysat with a unit of ungors or just anything, really, that you can dump the wounds off into. Because mm-hmm. five wounds is very squishy. Sure. Very squishy. And then you use his range of 18 to pull units into him, do mortal wounds, keep a unit from having to battle shock. Then we have Devolve is his War Scroll spell. Devolve is a spell and has a casting value of 7, a range of 18. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range of visible of the caster. Until your next hero phase, roll 3d6 before that unit makes a normal run, retreat, or charge move. If the roll is greater than the unit's bravery characteristic, the maximum distance of that move is really effective, right? With the 3d6, it means on average, you are beating everyone's bravery as the the average result. And that's on all those moves. It doesn't matter what kind of move your opponent's making. Everything except for a pylon move. Everything, yep. Yep. If it's a normal move, a run move, a retreat move, or a charge move, you're good to go wow that's so good it's not an inherent modifier to their move characteristic so this doesn't pair with something like jaws which triggers Mm -hmm. off of the move characteristic but it's pretty powerful it's very good to keep somebody contained and range of 18 is very good casting value of seven is tricky but there are some ways to make life a little bit easier okay cool next (laughs) next up is the doom bull ended up as a galatian champion seven inch move four up save bravery seven eight wounds Real kind of middle of the road in terms of what combat he hands out. His horns are one inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no ren damage two. And the axe is two inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, ren one damage three. If he hits, man, he hits hard. Yeah, sure. He's got alpha charge. After this unit makes a charge move, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of the unit. Impact hits. And roll a dice on a two up. That unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. That's neat. Blood greed is hit rolls of six trigger mortal wounds equal to the damage characteristic that's both on the horns and the axe Mm -hmm. and he has one of the most interesting command abilities that we've maybe ever seen Mm -hmm. at 160 points yeah he has a command ability that you use at the start of the combat phase this unit must issue the command and the unit that receives the command must be a friendly war herd unit so that's bulgors gorgons doom bulls and Cygors. Cygors, yeah. Pretty limited number of units, but as we talk about those units, there are some of your punchier pieces. Friendly Warhorde unit within 12 inches of an enemy unit and more than 3 inches from all enemy units. If you do so, you must attempt to charge with that unit. So it's a way to 
draw your opponent into a counter charge mm -hmm. from something like your Bulgors or your Gorgon. You don't really want to be throwing your Cygors into combat. Or if you happen to have missed the charge in your charge phase, it mm. gives you another crack at it. Okay. It becomes sure. expensive from a command point spend perspective, but it is a way to get units there. You can use it to dodge Unleash Hell, right? Because Unleash Hell can only occur in the charge phase. Yes. So the Warhorde unit has to be within 12 inches of the enemy unit. Okay. You are still subject to regular issuing rules. Okay. Yep. So if he's the general... Within it's wholly 18. within 18. Or wholly if within he's 12. not the general, it's wholly within 12. Got it. Thanks. Okay, good. He makes Bulgore's battle line, which is how you get to a Avatar <laughs> only list. Sure. It's a valid way to play. You still want Bray Shamans in that army, though. Okay. Just what they do. Right. So we have the Shagath Dam. Yeah, we have dragons. Well, dragons that are ogres. Mm -hmm. So the Shagath is a 10 wound, 8 move, 4 up save, 7 bravery hero. He has crackling bolts for a shooting attack, 12 inch range, 2d6 attacks, 3 up, 3 up, minus 1 ren, 1 damage, and then he has a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, a lot of profile. He has hands and tails and axes, so his axe is 2 inch range, 5 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 1, 2 damage. The tail is 3 inch, d6 attacks, 3 by 3s, no rend, 2 damage. All these things, again, as you said before, we have to understand that once you enter turn two, all these attacks are going to have rend or better rend. Yep. And that's kind of important, I think. Talon four limbs, one inch range, four attacks, three by threes, no rend, one damage. He is a wizard. He can cast one spell and unbind one. He is the scion of the primordial storm. Each time this unit is affected by a spell or the abilities of an endless spell, you roll a dice on a four up, ignore the effects of that spell or the effects of an endless spell on that unit. That's excellent. He is 275 points though, so you're paying a bit for him. Yep. At the end of the combat phase, this is his first War Scroll ability. At the end of the combat phase, roll a dice for the unit. On a two-up, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to this unit. In addition, at the end of the combat phase, roll a dice for each enemy unit within three inches of any friendly units with this ability. On a two-up, they suffer D3 mortal wounds. And then Summon Lightning is his spell, and it has casting value of seven range of 24 inches. Wow, that's impressive. If successfully cast, pick up to D3 friendly Thunderscorn, Dragon Ogre units, yep. within range and visible to the caster, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to those units roll separately for each. Nice. Yep. He's also a monster, yep. um, which you know means that he's going to be able to carry out monstrous actions. At 275, that's a real, real tough one. He doesn't have the behemoth battlefield profile, so he doesn't count towards your four cap, which is good because there's going to be some heroes we talk about that are pretty solid. So the last hero is a familiar one, one that we talked about a couple episodes ago in the Disciples of Zinch battle mm -hmm. tome. Yep. The War Scroll is unchanged. It is exactly the same as what it was in the Zinch book. Yeah. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about the Skyfires and, and all the Zangor things that are in here. Right. What's important to know is he has the Brayherd keyword. Uh, that's fundamentally very important to what he has access to and what he adds to. Sorceress Elixir is really nice when you consider the casting value of the spells that we're going to talk about. Getting that plus three to casting once per battle in your hero phase on an extra spell is pretty nice. It's going to pair well with a, a little trick we'll talk about when we get to command traits, but you're going to see a lot of things that cast on sevens and having access to the once per battle plus three is, is really useful. Okay. Really, really useful. Good. All right. So that's it for heroes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So over to their wow. enhancements. 
that doesn't seem right for some reason. <laughs> we didn't spend enough time. All this right. isn't a death book. Come on. <laughs> okay. So let's go back and let's start talking about command traits, yes? Yep. Okay. What are you looking at for these? What do you uh, think is Coolio? My favorite one is the Twist Frey Curse Beast. Yes. Add the number of the current battle round to casting rolls for this general. Ugh. I'm glad we just talked about that, the Shaman on Disc, because you're going to be plus whatever the battle round is. In your first battle round, if you choose to burn it there, you're plus four to cast. Mm -hmm. Pairing this with Arcane Tome to be a, yep. a two-caster on your Great Bray Shamans or your Shamans on Disc is huge. This is technically the quote-unquote Zinch command trait. <laughs> sure. There are no marking of things in this book. Not like Slaves to Darkness, right. but they are worshippers of chaos, and that's going to be something that shows up in some of these. But that's really powerful. The casting values on these things are really high. Having a character who is a reliable caster is pretty good. I'm toying around with a Twist Fray, Curse Beast, Arcane Tome, Spell Portal Shaman okay. that I just basically keep them back because the ranges are very short is what you're going to see. And then hand out the things in the places that I want to hand them out in. Perfect. I also like uh, the Skull Fray Gorehorn. I think that's pretty cool. Yep. Um, again, this is a way to get your points, I think, out of your Beast Lord. I would put this on a Doom Bull. Oh, on a Doom Bull. Okay, yeah, yeah for your Bulgores we're going to talk about, right? No. And okay. you're going to see what the keyword is that makes this. Right. While this general is within three inches of any enemy units, add one to the attack characteristics of melee weapons used by friendly Beasts of Chaos, Bray Herd, <laughs> Goat People, units wholly within 12 inches of this general. So Minotaurs and Dragon Ogres are out as well oh, as as well as the big monsters. It's just Gores, Ungores. Gores, Ungores. Best of Gores. Zangors also have the Brayherd keyword. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So if they're a goat person, they would have access to this. Yes. The And we consider Zangors as goat people. Yeah. The book For considers the purpose Zangors of the books. as goat yeah. people. Yes. Yeah. Uh, even though they're bird goat people. Right. So you wouldn't be wrong for putting this on the Warger, the Beast Lord. Because you are getting that plus one to hit, plus one to wound if you're into that hero, plus one attack, right? That is your tech piece. What makes this so scary is this is a command trait. Mm -hmm. And you need to have that on someone who's going to be around for, right. for a minute. Unless right. you can design a small tactical nuke where mm -hmm. you can toss everyone in and you're going to get your return off of it. But losing your general is a big deal. But you could put this, I, not that you would, but you could put this on a Shagath, right? Yeah, you could. Okay, and he would be around a little longer mm -hmm. for several reasons. You have to but keep to adjust you have to, your you have to keep Rayherd units near him, yes. which isn't a bad thing. Right. His most natural pairing is Thunderscorn, though. Of right? course. So, of course. So the second one that I really like is the Bestial Cunning. Yes. After deployment, you can pick one friendly Beast of Chaos reserve unit. When you set that unit up at the end of your movement phase, you can set it up anywhere on the battlefield more than seven from all enemy units. <laughs> Brendan, um, and when they come in, they're adding one. They're adding plus one to charge, so you need to land a six. Pairing this with a hero Man. and a unit is really good because Ooh. you get the plus one. Most units, horn blowers add plus one to charge, so they need to see a seven on the dice, and the hero needs to see the six. Most heroes don't have something that adds to their charge rolls, so... I like this as a pairing to ensure that the hero and the unit that you're trying to get in, where you're trying to get them in, is really useful. A Doombull plus <laughs> Minotaurs. Oh, a man. unit of nine Minotaurs and Galatian Veterans is oh, mean. God, that just sounds... They're almost guaranteed. Plus, you get a reroll if you want. Yeah, so... You're almost guaranteed to make that charge. Yeah. It's mean, really, really good chance. This is oh. also a good one to, you know, you know, if you're trying to land that Shagath from oh. off board, this is a good one. But the thing that jumps front to mind with me with this is a Doom Bull paired with a unit of six Bulgors. or a unit of nine Bulgors sure. coming off the board edge. 
He needs a six. They need a seven. I feel good about landing those charges. Sure. Awesome. Now we have artifacts. You don't have a second one, or are you taking oh. the twist fray? No, I'm taking the twist fray as okay. well. Yeah, that one was so powerful. Okay, so over to artifacts then, yeah. What do you think? The one that jumps out to me is the Knowing Eye. If you take the first turn in the current battle round after the players receive their starting command points, you receive one command point that can only be spent during this turn to allow the bearer to issue a command. If you take the second turn in a battle and in the current battle round, after the players have received their starting command points, the bearer can make a normal move of up to six inches. That's pretty good. Yep. Knowing Eye is good. I also like the Blackened Talisman. And this is, again, we talked about survivability of some of our heroes here. Mm -hmm. And this basically is a four-up ward against spells or endless spells. Or invocations, even. So that's pretty powerful if you want to keep somebody alive. Because I'm just thinking of the armies that can, to your point, you know, what if they're using a spell portal? And they can just drop something that does D6 mortal wounds or something worse on one of your Bray Shamans and poof, they're gone. So this might be a way to keep Prevent them alive that. a little better if you can afford the artifact. Sure. Yeah. You have a lot of small heroes, so picking up extra artifacts and things like that is pretty easy. Is doable. I don't know that you're going to be fielding a lot of one-drop armies yeah. with Beasts of Chaos, which sure. is... Anything else? The rest of them are kind of in the middle for me. I'm interested situationally in the Slither Rack Helm. After the bearer makes a charge move, you pick one enemy unit within one inch of them and roll a dice. On a two-up, the strike last effect applies to that unit until the end of that turn. Again, the Bestial Cunning, putting this on a Doom Bowl, getting him in, rolling the two-up, and then having the unit of Minotaur's land means that you can fight that combat at your leisure, and you can fight the other fights that you're going to fight on the table in the order that you want to or need to. Okay. If you turn everything into fights last, and you get to fight in all of the orders that you want. And <laughs> yeah, of course. It's not it doesn't deal. matter, right? Yeah. I also like the Gnarl Staff. Uh, at the end of your movement phase, you can pick one objective or terrain feature within six inches of the bear and roll a dice. On a two-up, each unit within six inches of the objective suffers D3 mortals. I mean, that's kind of cool, because there's normally a lot of terrain on the board that also is faction terrain. It doesn't really matter what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, that could be a lot of damage that could pick off units that are right on the edge or it could pick off small heroes, things like that. And you can do this at the end of every one of your movement phases. So, yeah, cumulatively, I think that could have some kind of an effect. All right. So that's artifacts, yes. And now we come to some craziness, yeah? Yeah, so I think both the spell lores is what really, I don't want to say helps the book, but really puts the power of this book, takes the knob and turns it up one level from wherever you thought it was before. The Brayherd lore, which Great Bray Shamans and Zangor Shamans on disc both have access to here. Mm -hmm. I like every single spell on the table, so we're going to be talking about four, and we're going to be leaving two off that I will tell you I like no matter what. Some are more situational than others, but there is value in taking every single one of them. Okay, I'm going to pick my first one, which is Tendrils of atrophy okay good that's number one kind of pretty clear in a way love okay. that okay it's a spell that has a casting value of seven to your point again a little higher in a range of 12 if successfully cast pick one enemy unit within range invisible to the caster add one to the damage inflicted by each successful attack made with a melee weapon that targets that unit until your next hero phase holy mutt brendan you've got a bunch of units that already do two or three damage mm-hmm. oh man and your gores all of a sudden and your best of gores are doing two damage attacks they're rolling 40 of them or 30 of them or whatever else it is if just a fraction of those get through you're going to be doing 15 20 damage yep that's really really good i like that one a lot how about Uh, you your first vicious strangle thorns casting value five range of 18 Mm. if successfully cast pick one enemy unit within range of the (laughs) caster that That enemy unit cannot make pylon moves until your next hero phase 
This is a great one to use for a unit that you're about to throw a monster into. You pin them at the edge with that monster, and you get to fight them with all of your powerful attacks, and they're going to fight you back with hopefully none. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what you did with the Chosen in that game? Or? Yeah, so in my game versus Nick Raverty, I tagged his unit of Chosen with this. The charge itself, the distance from the Doombull to the Chosen wasn't long, but I landed a long enough charge where I was able to position the Doombull in a place where only only one chosen could fight me. <laughs> wow, nuts. And he hadn't spent his double pylon yet, and the chances that one chosen kills a Doombull is effectively zero. It is possible, it can be done. Your odds are excruciatingly low. Sure. Really good, especially because it lasts until your next hero phase. Right. That's very frustrating. Even if your opponent lands a charge, if it wasn't long enough or they don't get the units in in the way that they'd like to, I like Primal Dominance. It's a spell that has a casting value of 5 and a range of 18 if successfully cast. Pick one enemy monster within range of visible to the caster until your next hero phase. That monster counts as one model for the purposes of contesting objectives and not carrying out monstrous rampages. So it does both. Yep. And I think with the number of monstrous you know, characters we have or monstrous models that we have on boards... Whatever the army it is, they've got some. This could be really, really effective. Making it one model? Holy mutt, man. That's really good. And again, you take away their ability to do monstrous rampages. That's pretty good. Yes. So it's funny you picked that one because this is one of the ones that I had four that I wanted to talk about, and this was not one of them. <laughs> so now I have to make a choice between the last two that I really like. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go with Wild Rampage. Okay. Casting value of 7, range of 12. If successfully cast, pick one friendly beast of chaos unit wholly within range and invisible the caster. Till your next hero phase, if the unmodified hit roll for that attack made with a melee weapon is a 6, it's two hits instead of one. Exploding sixes, okay. Right, make a wound roll and save roll for each hit as normal. Fair. Really useful on your gores, your best of gores, even your ungores. Sure. Centigores take this buff really well, especially mm-hmm. if you can get them into the right places. You know, it's useful. It's a nice one to have. It doesn't pair very well with minotaurs, because minotaurs have sixes that are mortals. <laughs> right. You could make the choice to make it an explosion instead. Yes. Well, if you're doing three damage or more, that might be a choice you'd want to make, so... You never know. Yeah, it depends on the target. That's an ability that pairs especially well with things that are going to throw a volume of attacks at you. Sure. Makes sense. And if you can pair that with tendrils, then... Oh, yeah. that unit's gone. <laughs> I also like Viletide. Viletide is a spell that has a casting value of 6, a range of 12. It's successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible to the caster. That unit suffers D3 mortal wounds, but more importantly, cannot receive commands until the end of that turn. There is a lot of that in this book. So what that means for you is your opponent can't redeploy. Yep. Your opponent can't unleash hell. Yep. Your opponent can't all-out attack, can't all-out defense, and can't inspiring presence or any war scroll commands right. that they would receive for that unit. Yep. This is effectively pinning them in place, and mm-hmm. that is very valuable. Okay. Good. Good stuff. Thunderscorn lore. Obviously, the Thunderscorn lore, there's only one character who has access to this, right. and that's the Shagath. Yep. So at 275, a one-cast, one-unbind, it's a little tough, right? You can take Arcane Tome, you can be a double-caster. These spells are quite good, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to try and fit two Dragon Ogre Shamans, the oh, Shagaths, sure, sure. into your list. Agreed. What's your first choice for these? Hailstorm. Yep. There you go. That's Casting that's value of six, range of 21. Pick one enemy unit within range, invisible the caster, have the move characters for that unit, and have run rolls and charge rolls for that unit. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, kind of silly. Vulgarous Blades, yep, I really like, one. is a spell that has a casting value of 6 and a range of 18. It's successfully cast. Pick one friendly 
beasts of chaos. So anything in the book, essentially, a unit with wholly within range visible of the caster until the next hero phase. Subtract one from attack characteristics of melee weapons, obviously down to a minimum of one. Oh, man. Most units that have those two attacks, you're essentially having their damage potential. Right. Things and that have a lot of crazy. profiles, right? Each one yep. comes off of each of them. You know, things like Mega Gargants, you're making a big impact to in reducing the number of attacks there because yep. that's a model where you're paying for all of those very good profiles and you're making that reduction. Very good. Anything else you see here? Those are the two I was taking. Okay. Yep. That is your enhancements. So the next thing up is the great phrase. Mm-hmm. So Dan, which, which great phrase would you like to speak to? Well, I really like all heard because I'm just again thinking in terms of the length of the game versus individual you know events mm-hmm. and all heard what it does for you at the end of the battle shock phase you can return d3 plus three slain models to each friendly all heard gore ungore or Ungor Raiders unit on the battlefield. And we're going to talk about gores and how they've improved them some ways and they have value now. Yes, they, they do. They really do. And I think that, you know, and it's at the end of the battle shock phase, so it would be both players' turns mm-hmm. you could bring back. So potentially, you're bringing back 2D3 plus 6 slain models. That's a lot of models. They have to survive that long. They do. Yes. Agreed. But that's still a lot of models, and it could really make a unit annoying as heck for your opponent who wants to just, you know, smack them aside and move on. You still got three units there, you know, three models there. You got to get rid of them now. Mm-hmm. That takes time, and time is a commodity in this game. I think that could be valuable. Yep. All right, how about you? What's your first choice that you like? I'll take Dark Walkers. Very interesting change for this sub-faction. Mm-hmm. So at the end of your movement phase, you can pick one friendly Dark Walkers Gore Herd. Ungor or Ungor's raider unit that's wholly within nine inches of the battlefield and say it will slink into the shadows. If you do so, remove that unit from the battlefield and set it up again wholly within nine inches of the battlefield edge and more than nine inches from all enemy units. <laughs> Gosh. That's really good. There's probably about half of the missions have an objective that is at an edge somewhere where them just being on the table mm-hmm. can allow them to either contest or control it. So you could dedicate a unit or two where all you're doing is placing a consistent long-term threat on your opponent of you cannot move away from this objective or I am going to take it. Mm-hmm. Ungors are 80 points, something like that. Yeah. The threat that an 80-point unit is going to ruin your game is hilarious and awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one unit in each turn, so at least it's limited in that perspective, but it does force your opponent to keep things in places longer than they would have realistically liked. Sure. The next one I'm going to, just because I would pick Spawn because of this new unit we're going to talk about, but it's only one unit, and I still like things that affect larger amounts of your army. So Quake Frey is the third one. Friendly Quake Frey Cygor units gain the priest keyword, which is really interesting because they're not heroes. In addition, friendly Cygor priests know the following prayer. Earth Shatter is the prayer. Earth Shatter is a prayer that has an answer value of three and a range of 12. If answered, pick one objective within range and visible to the caster. Each unit within six inches suffers D3 mortals. And until your next hero phase, when determining the number of models in units that are contesting that objective, that number must be halved. This prayer has no effect on Beasts of Chaos. That's pretty, pretty cool. good, Brendan. Yeah, it, pretty it cool. It turns Cygors and Gorgons into battle line units, which mm-hmm. is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't necessarily know how useful that is from a list building perspective, but Cygors at 210 are pretty all right. Yeah, yeah. Especially if they're your battle line choices. And, I mean, that's a pretty good prayer. I mean, considering 
how important it is is because we think we're going to see more larger units on a table. So instead of 30, you have 15 all of a sudden. Yeah. I can deal with that. And you've got a lot of models, which makes things easy. The last one's Gave Spawn. You gain access to a special unit of Chaos Spawn, which we'll talk about when we get to it. Perfect. They're pretty good. They're worth talking about. Yeah, absolutely. It seems odd to say, I don't know how many books we've talked about Chaos Spawn, where we go, they are the same. There's (laughs) nothing new here. Um, They're 55 points. Stop. (laughs) They're super random they're there. You can take them if you want. Not anymore. Well, this special unit that you can only take if you're game spawn. Yeah, but that's okay. All right, so let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with units and other stuff. Yep. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. It is time for units, Brandon. Why don't you hit us up with gores, which are now worth... They are now useful. Before they suffered in this land between Bestigors and Ungors and really didn't serve any purpose, now at 110 remaining battle line, I think they have a home. Okay. Six inch move, five up save, bravery six, one wounds. They have two kit options. One is hacking blade and shield. And the hacking blade and shield is one inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, no rend damage one. And the paired hacking blades is one inch range, three attacks, fours by threes, no rend damage one. If you go sword and board, your save characteristics gets bumped up to a four up. Yeah. I think that's what you're doing. That's really good. Champion gets plus one attack. The standard bearer, this is the thing you're going to see on a lot of the Brayherd standard bearers, is rally triggers on a five up instead of a six for them. Mm. Musicians give them plus one to run and plus one to charge. Also a pretty standard horn that you're going to see. You've lost run and charge in the army, so you are a little bit slower, but the incentive is really to come off the board edge. Sure. They picked up a pretty sweet rule. At the end of your charge phase, if this unit made a charge move in the same turn, pick one enemy unit within one inch of the unit and has fewer models on the unit and roll a dice. On a three up, the strike last effect applies to that enemy unit in the following combat. This is phase. kind of like Ground Shaker yes. for Sylvaneth has the same kind of effect where it's strike last. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is if you make a charge move, and yes. if you outnumber your opponent, and if you're within one inch of that unit, sure. and you roll a three up. So it's very conditional. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, granted, you can go little units of 10 and throw them at, you know, like cav units and stuff and yeah. give them strikes last. You can go 20s and 30s and you can throw them at bigger units mm. and gain that advantage. One of the things that you're going to find yourself at a premium for in this army, though, is the units that you're going to be fitting into Galatian veterans. Oh, um, yeah. so there's only four slots and something like Gores are 32-inch bases with one range attack. There are things that can reach over the top of each other, but there are definitely some units that really want to be Galatian veterans. Okay, sure. This being certainly one of them. Okay. 220 points for a 20 gore unit is pretty okay. Great. And then we have Bestigors right after that. They are now two wounds and six inch move, four up save, seven bravery. They have the Despoiler Axe, and that is all they are armed with. Two inch range, two attacks, three by threes, minus one to start rend and damage. So they can very easily be up to minus two, minus three. Wow. Champion adds one to attack, standard bearer, Rallies on a 5-up instead of a 6-up. The Musician is add 1 to run and charge rolls. Despoilers add 1 to the attack characteristics of this unit's melee weapons while it is within 3 inches of any enemy units that received all-out defense command in the same phase. If I know these guys are coming, that's a really tough choice to force your opponent to make. Yep. Wow. How does the math even work out on that? I would think that it would be... You're still advantaged by doing all-out defense, right? In a unit of 10, you're adding one additional attack. If it's a unit of 10. 
Right. Yeah. Well, so you have to do the math on a per 10 basis, right? It, it multiplies out. You are gaining a total of 10 attacks per 220 points that you've spent, mm-hmm. right? Hitting on threes means that you're going to hit with six and a half. Wounding on threes means that you're going to wound with 4.275. That is much worse than increasing your save characteristic by, you know, 16 you know, 0.667%. Yeah. The larger the unit, the less palatable this becomes. Certainly the further on in the game where the higher your end is, you know, the less useful that additional add-on becomes. Right. It does become a decision, but certainly in the early terms and against smaller units, okay. you know, it's something that you're going to be fine with. But at 220 points for 10, this is a very, very spendy unit. Okay. Sorry, and then the last rule for them... Oh, yeah. So we have bestial charge. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks that target this... This unit, if the attack was made with a missile weapon by an enemy that received the Unleash Hell command in the same phase. Minus one to hit, minus one to wound. Yeah. Okay. It's neat. They're in a tough spot. They can be battle line if you have a Beast Lord or a Bray Shaman General. Mm. That's cool. But as we talk about the things that do damage, they're in a very stiff competition with those units, right? Okay. Them being Minotaurs, when we go to talk to them, they're Bulgors, mm-hmm. and the Dragon Ogres. Units that do similar things, but maybe just a little bit better. Okay. So why uh, didn't you talk to us about both the Ungor units? Yeah, so Ungors on foot, movement seven, five up save, bravery five, one wounds apiece. They have to be armed with either a blade or a short spear. The short spear picks up a ranged weapon. Inch range, one attack, fours by fours, no rend damage one. Missile weapons don't pick up additional rend as the game Correct. goes on. Okay, so it's only melee mind. weapons, yep. The melee version of it is two inch range, one attack, fours by fours, no rend damage one. The pitted blade is really neat. One inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no rend damage one. On a unit of 10, that means you're getting 21 attacks in combat with an 80 point units. <laughs> and from battle round two and on, they have at least rend one, which is... <laughs> pretty hilarious the champion is plus one to attack the standard bearer is five up rally musician is plus one to run and charge and then in the combat phase when you pick this unit to fight you can say it will evade the enemy if you do so this unit retreats instead of fighting that's really good it's so silly how good that is where you can just pile out and you're done their fixed battle line ungor raiders are 115 points so 35 more points than Ungors. One unit of them is battle line for each unit of Ungors that you take. Their 7-inch move, 6-up save, bravery 5, 1 wound. They have their bow, which is 12-inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 4s, no rend damage 1. And their shank, 1-inch range, 1 attack, 5s by 5s, no rend damage 1. Champion, plus 1 attack to missile weapons, standard bear and musician, the same. Oh, sorry, the musician is very different. The musician allows you to run and shoot later in the same turn. Run and shoot rather than, yeah. Plus 1, plus 1. Yep, adding 1 to run charge. They have a special rule hidden volley once per battle at the start of your movement phase if this unit is in reserve you can pick a point on the battlefield <laughs> edge and say that this unit will unleash a hidden volley that would if just you... be annoying as <laughs> yeah if you do so this unit can shoot in that phase but it must target the closest enemy unit to that point uh, if more than one enemy unit is tied to be closest so you can pick which unit is the target for how many more points you're spending i really don't like them. yeah the yeah. range is so short they're so squishy they're yeah. so killy no thanks okay one of the rare hard passes uh, in 3.0 books. <laughs> I'm sure someone can find a use for them, but 20 attacks at fours and fours means you're only forcing five saves. <laughs> All right. Stan. Now we have chariots. Your beloved chariots. Yeah, now the saddest part for me is they've gone up 30 points from 65. They, so now they're 95 points apiece. Mm-hmm. So no longer can I take my 20 plus chariot Ben Hur list. Breaking my heart, man. Yeah, Breaking you, my heart. You can here. merely do like 18 15 or something. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> 
So anyway, the Tuscor Chariot, 10-inch moves, 7 wounds, 4-up save, 7 bravery. Has a gnarled spear for a missile weapon. 8-inch range, 1 attack, 3 by 3s no rend, 2 damage. And then 3 attacks in its melee profile, which is really cool. So we have the Despoiler Axe, which is 2-inch range, 2 attacks, 3 by 3s minus 1 rend, 1 damage. Gnarled Spear is 2-inch range, 1 attack, 3 by 3s no rend, 2 damage. And then the Tusks and Hooves of the Beasties. 1-inch range, 4 attacks, 4 by 3s no rend, 1 damage. All of those melee weapons obviously get a buff to their rend as the game goes on. Yeah, for 95 points, it's a nice thing. Yeah, sure. The champion adds one to attack characteristics of the model's melee weapons, so it's all of them, which is nice. What's funny to me is it said that this unit has two or more models. Yeah. It's not battle line, so at most you can only have two, two models. models. Yeah. <laughs> You would be going from 7 to 10 attacks. Okay, cool. Tuscor charge. After this unit makes a charge move, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of the unit and roll a number of dice equal to the unmodified charge roll for that charge move. Add one to the roll if that enemy unit has a wounds characteristic of one or two for each five up. The unit suffers one mortal wound. Well, if you have enough of them, I guess that could have quite an impact, yeah? Yeah. If you got enough. But otherwise, okay. I quite like that. I think it's It's fun. The speed is good. If you wanted to take multiples of them, charge into the same unit, force your opponent to split some attack, and just make their life miserable. Yeah. And now we have Drunken Buddies. Yeah, so Sensigors can be battle-line if your general is a great Bray Shaman. They're 170 points, which I think is a little spendy, um, but they are a really good unit. Yep. 14-inch move, 4-up save, bravery 6, 2 wounds apiece. They have their Gut Piercer Spear, which is a 8-inch range, 1 attack, 3s by 3s, Ren 1 damage one which is a nice chip shooting attack mm-hmm. their spears are two inch range two attacks threes by threes run one damage one and their clawed forelimbs are one inch range two attacks fours by fours no run damage one champion adds plus one to the attacks characteristics of their melee weapons their standard bear lets them retreat and charge and their musician is plus one to run and plus one to charge rolls mm-hmm. pretty good they have the brayherd keyword which is nice mm-hmm. they have drunken on revelry the first two wounds or more wounds caused this unit mm-hmm. in the combat phase are negated. In addition, if a model in this unit would flee as a result of a failed battle shock test, you can roll a dice on a two-up that model does not flee. <laughs> wow, that's so good. They're so drunk they don't care. That's really cool. It changes the math in terms of how difficult they are to shift. Mm-hmm. You basically have to pre-kill a centigore before you can kill a centigore. <laughs> yeah. Units of five, I think, are especially good because you get to unruly hooligans, add one of the attacks characteristics of this unit's melee weapons while it is wholly within nine inches of any objectives that you do not control. So not just necessarily enemy objectives, but objectives that you don't hold. Right. That particular pairing of words is a little rare. 170 points is a little high, but this unit was one of my most valuable units in my game versus Nick. I probably got some outsized results out of them. He had some bad rolling. I had some good rolling in some spots. Mm -hmm. These are the perfect unit for opening a screen up, tagging something that doesn't want to be tagged, because at a four-up save, they're kind of tough to move. Mm -hmm. I tagged as Chaos Knights, which are kind of junk if, you know, they're not coming off the charge. They were strung out, so they really weren't able to pile into me very effectively. You do have a 14-inch move here. They're really fast. They're real fast. Yeah, that's really, really good. They're a pretty solid unit, and certainly I would recommend worth thinking about. Okay, sure. Then we have the meat bullets here. (laughs) The Razor Gores. 65 points. Yeah, for one of these bad boys. It's a 10-inch move, 4 wounds, 5-up save, 6 bravery. We have 
Tusks and hooves, one inch range, four attacks, four by threes. No rend, two damage. They feed on mangled remains, so that's lovely. At the end of each phase, you can heal one wound allocated to this unit if it is within six inches of any enemy units that have had any models slain in that phase. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Then we have baited charge. <laughs> Here's some use for your ungors. If this unit is within three inches of any friendly ungors at the end of your charge phase, and this unit made a charge move in the same turn, double the attack characteristics of this unit's melee weapons, so it takes them to eight attacks. Yeah, and they are units of one. You can take them up to units of two. Sure, you could. It might be fun. You know, bring your ungors in from an edge when they're charging, and they'd be just in the right spot, and boom, <laughs> that would be hilarious. And the last one we have here... Slangor Fiend yeah. Bloods. Much, <laughs> much improved at 130 points. One of the single worst units ever in the game. Yeah. Keyworded Bray Herd. Eight-inch move, five attacks, bravery six, three wounds apiece. The unit has their razor-sharp claws, two-inch range, four attacks, fours by threes, ren one, damage two. Mm-hmm. And the champion has razor-sharp claw and gilded weapon, two-inch range, five attacks, fours by threes, ren one, damage two. They have slaughtered any cost at the end of any phase if any wounds or mortal wounds are allocated to this unit in that phase and this unit is more than nine inches from all enemy units this unit can move up to d6 inches and then they have obsessive violence once per battle in the combat phase after this unit has fought for the first time in that phase you can say it will continue its obsessive onslaught if you do so this unit can fight for a second time in that phase strike last effect applies to this unit fights for the second time the two inch range means that they can fight in two ranks which is pretty neat yes the fact that you hand out so many fights last in this army means that if you're using this at the right time, the fights last part of this isn't a big deal. 260 points for... Six of them? Yeah, for six of them is, you know, 25 attacks and yeah. fours and threes, ren one damage two. Mm. That's not bad. Or better. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on when they get in. All right. Now we get to Minotaurs, otherwise mm-hmm. known as Bulgors. Okay, seven inch move, four wounds, five up save, six bravery. And they have several options. So they have a cleaving axe, which is three attacks, four by threes, minus one, two damage. They have paired axes, two inch range again, four attacks this time, four by threes, minus one, two damage. They have a great axe, which is two inch range, two attacks, three by threes, minus one, but three damage. Oh man, that's just wrong. (laughs) And then they have iron capped horns, two attacks, four by fours, nothing, two damage. If they're armed with a shield, they get a four-up save. Very nice. One model can be a blood kind, and you add one to the attack characteristics of the model's melee weapon. Standard bear, one in every three models can be a standard bear uh, when this unit uses its war herd charge ability, and we're going to talk about that. If it includes any banner bearers, you can re-roll the dice that determines whether an enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. Musicians, you add one to charge rolls, which is very useful. And then we have the war herd charge is the first special rule. After this unit makes a charge move, you pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a dice for each model in this unit. On a two-up, enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. So you could re-roll that if you have yep. for your standard bear, yep. which essentially means you're going to... You're doing the number of mortal wounds equal to the number of models. <laughs> yeah, essentially, that. yes. Then we have blood greed. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with melee weapon with this unit is six, that attack causes the number of mortal wounds to the target equal to the weapon's oh my god to the target's damage characteristic and the attack sequence ends so if they're using a great axe they're going to do three mortals if they roll a six but there's only two attacks and now you're also talking about if you had a unit of six of them that would be what 12 Mm -hmm. you could end up doing on average six mortals 
Yep. Yeah. You're going to do the same on average number of mortal wounds if you run a unit of six that are sword and board. Right. Uh, right. You're, at, you're at 18 yeah. attacks. Yeah. You're going to trigger it three times, which is still six damage. Six damage. You still have more attacks coming through. Your higher damage potential is not the great axes, Okay. There you go. Yep. Board and sword is what we're talking about here. I think you would be hard-pressed to pick any of the other options. Yep. Two-inch range on everything except for the horns is pretty good. It means you can run a unit of six, and you're going to get everything but the iron-capped horns attacks from the second rank. And with the cleaving axes, you're still getting three attacks apiece. Mm-hmm. Yep. The four-by-threes, you're still getting minus one base rend. You're going to be looking to place all an attack on them as often as you possibly can. Sure. Hitting on fours is tough, but... That's the advantage of the Great Axe, typically, but you have so many fewer attacks that's just not coming through at the same rate. All right. The Gorgon. Yeah, nice. Oh, my good friend the Gorgon. Whiff Machine himself. I have loved this War Scroll for years and years and years. I have a... Because they didn't used to sell this model, so you had to make your own. This is my (laughs) first work with green stuff, where I took a Chaos Giant and sculpted two other arms on top of it. Um, (laughs) I'm actually quite pleased that it it came out as well as it did for my first go of things. Sure. 240 points. 8-inch move down to 4, 5-up save, bravery 7, 16 wounds, Hmm. butchering blades, 2-inch range, 7 attacks down to 4, 4s by 2s, rend 1, damage 3, and the maw, 1-inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 2s, rend 1, damage d6. They have the swallow hole ability. After this unit makes a pylon move, you can pick a number of enemy models within 3 inches of this unit equal to or less than the swallow hole value shown on the table, 3 down to 1, and roll a dice for each. If the roll is greater than the model's wound characteristics, it is slain. If an enemy model is slain by this ability, you can heal a number of wounds allocated to this unit equal to the wounds characteristic of that slain model. Nice. You can carry out the Feast on Flesh monstrous rampage instead of any other one. So Feast on Flesh has improved the rend characteristics of this unit's melee weapons by one until the end of the following combat phase. In addition, until the end of that following combat phase, if any enemy models were slain by attacks made with this unit, you can heal up to three wounds allocated to this unit after all of its attacks have been resolved. Holy mutt. Brendan, that's like making it base minus two rend. Yep. Without the other beast stuff yep wow it's pretty good that's really nice if you can survive some bad dice rolling it'll work for you but gorgons for me through now one and a half decades of using this model um you got to roll with the punches because there's going to be times where the gorgon wins you the game and there are going to be times where he they just do totally whiff anything all right and then we have the cygor mm-hmm. yeah mr cyclops here it's Eight down to four for move, 16 wounds, five up save, seven bravery. We have the desecrated boulder with the cool runes on it and stuff. 12 inch range, one attack, three by twos. Minus two rend and damage goes from five down to two. Okay, here we go. And then massive horns, two inch range. We have from seven to four attacks, three by twos, minus one, two damage. And it consumes endless spells. You can carry out the consume endless spell monstrous rampage below. And it is pick one endless spell within six inches of this unit. Roll 2d6. If the roll is greater than the casting value of the spell, use to summon that endless spell has to be greater than that spell is dispelled. And you can heal a number of wounds allocated to this unit equal to the 2d6 roll. Wow, cool. If you're dealing with somebody who's got a lot of endless spells, I guess that's okay. He is how many points, buddy? 210. 210, okay. And you can make him a priest, by the way. Yeah. And he has a cool spell. So you could use that priest spell we talked about and 
he could use his monstrous rampage. Yep. How about his last rule there, Dan? Soul Eater. Okay, yeah. So Soul Eater's the last one. This unit can attempt to unbind two spells in the enemy hero phase in the same manner as a wizard. In addition, each time an enemy wizard within 30 inches of any friendly units with disabilities successfully casts a spell, and that spell is not unbound, caster suffers one mortal wound after the effect of the spell has been resolved. Just being around, he can hurt enemy wizards. Yep. If you're going to go all Minotaurs, you're going to go Quake Frey, you're going to take a couple of Sigors, probably two. They're going to be your unbinders. It means you're losing out on the ability to you know, cast all the great spells from the Brayherd part. But if you want to specifically stay Minotaur only, that's the way that you do this. Gives you some protection. Okay. So it's all Warherd then. Yes. That's what you're talking about on yep. all Warherd list. Okay. Uh, Doom Bull General in Quake Frey gives you Battle Line Bulgors and Battle Line Gorgons and Battle Line Sigors. Fun, fun, fun. Dragon Ogres. Sweet. The Scourge of the game from... Oh, yeah, for yeah. a while, right? 225 points for three. Battle mm-hmm. line if your general is a Shaggoth. Eight inch move, four up save, bravery six, five wounds. They have their storm forged weapons. Two inch range, five attacks, threes by threes. Their rend one, damage two. And then the four claws, one inch range, two attacks, fours by fours. No rend, damage one. They're elite, so they don't have a unit champion, but they can issue to themselves. They have beneath the tempest at the end of the combat phase. Roll a dice for this unit. On a two up, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to this unit. In addition, at the end of the combat phase, roll a dice for each enemy unit within three inches of any friendly units with this ability on a two up that unit suffers d3 mortal wounds and storm rage if this unit made a charge move unmodified hit rolls of six automatically wound the target so your night haunts uh, (laughs) okay sure i find their home to be the toughest to take them as battle line you have to have a shaggoth general to have a shaggoth general and a unit of dragon ogres you've spent a minimum of 500 points to get to that four model limit. That's crazy. You're at 15 wounds for 225 points with a four up save, which is pretty good. You're talking about seven attacks, which is, you know, all right. Doing the cross comparison to Minotaurs, it's very difficult in my mind to justify Dragon Ogres versus Mm. Minotaurs. Even if you don't make the battle line choice, I really don't see a reason to run nine Dragon Ogres off the top. The range is so limited. They cannot be Galatian veterans. Well, that's no good. Yeah, I think if you're taking Dragon Ogres, you're taking them in threes, because for whatever reason, the Shaggoths and a lot of the abilities pair out in threes. You're going to make the most use of the Beneath the Tempest rule in terms of the amount of damage that you do, as well as the amount of healing that you do, and you're making your opponent's life a little bit difficult in terms of what's... Uh, their attack allocation has to be. Okay. I wouldn't say that they're dead and gone. That's far from the truth, right? Because you get to battle round two and a unit of these guys where you've got 15 attacks at threes and threes, rend two, damage two is always going to be good. Yeah. And then another six attacks at fours and fours, rend one, damage one is going to be good. Obviously, you're not going to see 45 of them. It's not yeah. possible. But I don't think, at least right away, you're going to see dragon ogre heavy lists. I don't think that's going to be the... I don't want to say the right way to build it, but it's not going to be the way that most people go. Um, They don't get the bonuses to charge that having drummers and things like that give you. So when they're coming off the board edge, they need eights versus sevens. And that is a very different set of math. Yes. All right. We have Chaos Warhounds. Mm-hmm. Nice. They're just wolves like any other wolves. When you make a charge roll for this unit, you can change one of the dice in that roll to a four. That's nice. They have... Two attacks, four by threes, no rend, one damage. They have a range of one. Their 10-inch move, two wounds, uh, six up save, four bravery, and it's 110 for 10 of them. That's pretty good deal. They're like wolves in Soulblight. Yeah. They could be a pretty nice little unit to run around and just annoy people or grab things or 
whatever yeah. they're going to do, be a screen, whatever you want them to do. They're a perfectly fine unit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but, like that's the, it's 20 wounds for 110 points, you know? Yeah. yeah the right home list. Yeah. They're fine. Chaos spawns are it's, chaos spawns. Yeah. We don't need to talk about them yep. because we're going to talk about the other chaos spawn. So talking about then the Jabber Slife, 12 inch move, four up save, bravery six, 10 wounds. One of these many monsters that you're going to talk about in this game. Yeah. It's got its slithy tongue. 10 inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1, damage d3. And then it's got this close combat weapons as Vorpal Claws, 1 inch range, 6 attacks, 3s by 3s, no rend damage 1. It's Spike Tail, 3 inch range, 1 attack, 4s by 3s, rend 1, damage d3. Spurting Bile Blood every time you allocate a wound with a melee weapon. On a 4-up, the attack unit suffers 1 mortal wound. That's fine. And then the Aura of Madness, Monstrous Rampage it can carry out. You pick one enemy hero within 3 inches of this unit and roll a dice. On a 1, nothing happens. On a 2 through 5, you worsen the save characteristics by 1 to a minimum of a 6 plus till the end of the following combat phase. And on a 6, you reduce it by 2 to a minimum of 6 up. That's pretty good, especially with all the rend you're going to be throwing around. You can basically de-armor somebody with the jabber slice if you roll your dice right. Yeah. Which is certainly very interesting. At 160 points, it's worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. But... We have a cockatrice next. Which you're going to see everywhere. Yeah. You're going to see this in every chaos list that can take the allies. They were good before. They're really good now. Yeah. 12 inch move, 8 wounds, 6 up save, 6 bravery. Have a stabbing beak, 2 inch range, 2 attacks, 3 by 3s, no rend, 2 damage, and then a sword like talons, 1 inch range, 3 attacks, 3 by 3s, no rend, 2 damage. But the petrify engage for 105 points this is silly this is nuts at the start of the combat phase you can pick one enemy unit within six inches of this unit and roll a dice on a four up that unit suffers d3 mortal wounds in addition if any mortal wounds caused by this ability are allocated to a unit so if they can't slough mortals they're going to take at least one until the end of that phase only unmodified hit rolls of six for attacks made with melee weapons by that unit, score a hit. The same unit cannot be affected by this ability more than once. Holy mutt. So it just says allocated. It doesn't say negated. That's an important part of this. And if the unit has a ward, they have the ability to knock this off before the allocation step. But even then, some of them are worded in such a way where it doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. You know, if you trigger this four up and you do something, then sixes are the only thing that do anything. That's nuts. Yeah, that's really good. That's crazy for 105 points. 105 points. Take a couple of these and just send them towards your enemy's two biggest poundy units. Whatever they do, it's like... You leave them behind the wall of your guys mm. and... Because it's a six-inch range. Six-inch, right? Mm-hmm. Just hang yeah. out. Just stay yeah. there. Your eight wounds and a six-up save. Don't let them touch you. you know, use it as a deterrence piece. You know? It's not even just a debuff. It's way more than that. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Pairing that with Fight Last can basically neuter a unit. That's just There's crazy. nothing you can do all of a sudden. Yeah. And it just keeps going. Yep. On and on and on and on. Wow, that's just nuts. And then Madden Ferocity is the other rule, which after this one is like, uh, whatever. <laughs> Double the attack characteristics of this unit's melee weapons if it made a charge move in the same term. Why would you make a charge move? We just talked about that. I'm sure there are times yep. when you want to do that, but the main function of this thing, it appears, is to... Your- when your 10 attacks at Rend 1 or Rend 2, like... 
yeah, there's going to be times to throw it in. You you do it when your opponent has strikes last, and you're going to have the opportunity to do as much damage as possible in that activity. Sure. And you're certainly not doing it unsupported, but but yes. Okay, Chimera. The Chimera is so good. So no longer having it being summoned is something that you're going to see people like actually taking it in their lists. It's 185 points. There's a spell that gives you plus one attack on monsters, and when we go through the profile, you'll see why that might be useful. Mm -hmm. 10-inch move, 5-up save, bravery 6, 12 wounds. Fiery breath is a 12-inch range, has one attack. You don't use the attack sequence. Instead, the target unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. It still has a profile, so you cannot run and do this. It has four combat profiles. The (laughs) avian head, one-inch range, three attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage three. Draconic head, one-inch range, three attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage one. The lion head, one-inch range, three attacks, fours by threes, no rend, damage D6. And the mauling claws, two-inch range, six attacks, fours by threes, no rend, damage one. It's 15 attacks, Brenda. It's 15 attacks. You can give it a spell to give an additional one. So that's 19 attacks. Then you go over to the monstrous action it can carry out. Uh, which gives you another one attack. So you go up to 23 attacks um, (laughs) from battle round two and on. For 185 points, Brendan. It's a really nice... Oh my gosh. It's a really nice piece. When you're making the choice between this and a Gorgon, right? if you're taking the Gorgon, it's because of the long-term durability and the healing. If you're taking Mm -hmm. the Chimera, it's strictly damage. The Chimera has no way of coming back from a healing perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whatever you do with it, you got to make sure that you're going to do the damage and you're not really going to take any punches back. Well, it's a... 12 wound model but it isn't tabled so that's, that's good so you can get it down to one wound it's still gonna pound you you can roar you can stomp you can do all the things that you want to do it's really good i'm glad i've got one it's one that needs to be painted but i physically have it there's a lot of things that are just super excellent about all this that's great yeah both of those last two monsters at least are just in so good man well and the last monster that we will end up talking about is pretty bonkers okay so next up in the battle tome is the zangor Yes. They are unchanged from the Disciples of Zinch Battle Tome. The thing that's really important to take note of here is that they have the Brayherd keyword, so they benefit from all of the appropriate Brayherd things. So pairing them with Beast Lords is quite good. They gain the benefit of any ability, which to me is the silliest part. That corn command trait helps the Zinch models, doesn't help the Minotaur models, which are historically more closely associated with running as corn. Right. Now, um, they also have the Beasts of Chaos keyword. Yes. So they could take buffs, whatever that affect Beasts of Chaos as well. Correct. They yeah. lose the Disciples of Zinch keyword because, duh, because this is the Beasts of Chaos <laughs> right. Zangors. Yeah. Right. They finally have figured out how to keep you from taking units that are slightly cheaper in another book mm-hmm. into a different book that have the right keywords. They don't even have the right keywords now. They would be allies, sorry, the Coalition, but they don't even have the right Disciples of Zinch keyword to pick up right. some of the other buffs. That's its own thing. They gain benefits to Rend. You can deep strike them you know by putting them in ambush they are an interesting and compelling piece where effectively zangors are what you would want bestigors to be right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the difference is that when you're talking about just zangors they're 170 points versus your 220 for the same number of wounds a worse save but in many cases more attacks at similar rend and brendan you're moving 16 inches if you put these guys on disc right That's- totally different unit so right right None of these things can be battle line. The enlightened on discs are quite good. Yeah, the enlightened on that's foot what I'm thinking of. are a very interesting choice for Galatian command as mm. a unit that can fight in the hero phase. Sure. 
especially you're doing guided by the past you add one to wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly units if you are taking the second turn on the current battle round which means you would if you're fighting with your galatian command it's interesting there's value in taking them there's value in building around it i think the thing that you are highly incentivized to do though is play within the quote-unquote beast of chaos units okay sure so dan how about you talk about our morgarite chaos spawn yeah so, yeah in order to take them you have to take three of them they're three individual units yes. and they're 230 points so it's three models it's considered as a single war scroll as it were but you get three models that can act independently on the board yep okay and they count as all three of your battle line choices yes so that's not a bad deal they're 10 inch move five wounds five up save 10 bravery very unspawn like yes very so reliable so far the major thing that everybody will recognize immediately is a static move characteristic which is really really good has two profiles we have spews of corruption eight inch range d6 attacks three by threes minus one two damage and then we have bizarre mutations which is one inch range eight attacks three by threes minus one one damage again normally those tentacles or whatever that's a random Mm -hmm. number of attacks as well this is fixed at eight so very nice aura of insanity subtract one from the attacks characteristic of weapons used by enemy units while they're within one inch of this unit oh man so that's not just if they're the target it's if they're in range yeah so if you choose to not fight the chaos spawn you choose to allocate those attacks somewhere else you are going to be subject to that reduction yep i would think it would pay to have these partnered up with somebody else mm-hmm. that you want to have last Yeah, you wouldn't group all three of them up together. You'd no. space them out in your army, supporting... Use them as a debuff mm-hmm. for enemy units, sure. This unit can also run and charge later in the turn. All right. Okay. Coolio, the, man. The last monster, the Chaos Gargants. Yeah. Talk Eight about inch move, five up save, bravery six, 12 wounds. It's funny to me because this book and the Gitz book all have different Gargants than the Man Crusher Gargants. <laughs> Which, you know, if you had asked me before the the book came out what this was going to be, I'd say they're they're basically just going to be man crushers, but, you know, slightly more variable. 145 points. He's got, you know, the massive club, two inch range, five attacks down to two, threes by threes, no rend damage, two. Headbutt, two inch range, one attack, fours by threes, rend two, damage four down to one. The mighty kick, two inch range, one attack, threes by threes, rend one, damage D3. Very similar profile to what the man crushers do. Mm -hmm. He's got timber, which is the same as the man crusher one, so you can fall down and do mortal wounds. Mm -hmm. He's got stuff him in me bag. Same thing. You know, pick an enemy model within three inches, roll a dice. If it's double the wound's characteristic, it dies. It goes in the bag. You have whipped into a frenzy at the start of the combat phase. If this unit is within six inches of any friendly beasts of chaos heroes, you had one of the attacks characteristics of this unit's melee weapons until the end of that phase. Pretty good. Yeah, it's three extras, yeah. Yeah, don't take any damage, just do it. And then it has the aura of foulness. You subtract one from save rolls for (laughs) enemy units within three inches of any friendly units with this ability. Oh my goodness, man. (laughs) That's... Uh Yeah, Uh, it's neat. For 145 points, it's pretty cool. It makes for a very interesting ally, just like the Cockatrice. You have a kind of a purple sun rolling out there. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. I don't know in a piece of chaos list that you're going to be taking it very much, because bumping up two rend earlier isn't a huge advantage, I don't imagine, even in the save-dense environment. Mm. Most of your stuff is going to be rend one, rend two, right? just army-wide, you can only out all at defense in one place. Yes. It's interesting, we'll put it okay. that way. Last up we have here is Endless Spells. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Dude. Yeah, and they're all good. Yes. 
Let's start out with the Dire Flock, which is, my opinion, has greatly improved. I really agreed. <laughs> okay. It has three models, right? It has, mm-hmm. yep, three parts. Endless spell is summoned uh, with a casting value of five, range of 12. If successfully cast, set up parts of the Endless spell within three inches of each other, wholly within range and visible to the caster, and more than th- one inch from all models, other Endless spells, and invocations. Only Beasts of Chaos wizards can attempt to cast this spell. It is predatory. It moves eight inches. Parts of this Endless spell spell must remain within three inches of each other after the move. Harbages of Dark Omen. Models cannot issue the Rally or Inspiring Presence commands while they are within six inches of this endless spell. This ability has no effect on beasts. And the Stalking Shadow. Roll a dice each time an enemy unit issues a command within six... God, this is really good. Within six inches of this endless spell. On a five up, that command is not received, but the command point is considered to have been spent, and the command ability still counts as having been used. 40 Ooh. points, pretty useful. Ooh, yeah, very. Yeah, actually useful now. Yeah. Where before, if you made it free, I still wasn't going to take <laughs> right. it. Right. I'm going to steal the Taurus here real quick, Dan. Oh, yeah, sure, because you love that model. That's Casting value of 7, so tough to do, but this is why you take the bonuses to cast. Mm-hmm. A range of 6, set it up wholly within range. It's predatory with a movement of 12 and can fly. The rule is completely unchanged. It's really dumb. It's really good. After the spell is moved, roll a dice for each unit that has any models it passed across and for each other unit that is within one inch of it at the end of its movement. On a two-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. In addition, the strike last effect applies to units within three inches of this endless spell. This ability has no effects on Beasts of Chaos units. This is just an aura of strikes last. Mm -hmm. It's got a huge base. You park it somewhere. It's going to make your opponent's life miserable, and you go from there. I've been on the receiving end of this thing multiple times it is a pain in the butt and it's seven i mean this is where you were talking about before you know you get that pump up to plus three to cast here you go this would be a really good thing to spend this on you get it out on the board and then it's going to be harder for your opponent to get rid of it because they're not getting that plus three in most cases so yeah the mortal wounds are nice but what you are using it for is to block off areas of the board yes and then hand out areas where i have it parked right next to my gorgon are you really going to come in and fight me even with your really good unit, yeah. are you sure you're going to do that? <laughs> Knowing that I'm going to hit you first. Yeah. I'm going to hit you first, Ugh. and I'm going to hope that <laughs> I do enough damage where right. you have gone, I didn't like this. <laughs> All right, buddy. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about... Uh, Dirgehorn is the last one. Right, we got Dirgehorn, yeah. Casting value of a six, range of 12 inches. This is not predatory. When it's set up, the range is six inches, and at the start of each subsequent battle round, its range is increased by six. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made by units within range of an endless spell with this ability has no effect on Beasts of Chaos units. If it's pulled off the board and reset up, the range is reset to six. That's a pretty cool ability. It's 30 points. All of them are priced well. The Taurus could probably be 100 and you'd still take it. Sure. A 30-point endless spell that it's relatively easy to cast. You need a seven to get rid of it. But again, it's just an area of effects where in this area, and it continues to grow, and obviously the area when you're talking about circles is not you know a 100% increase, right? When you go Go no. from 6 to 12, it's much more than that. Yes. Yeah, imagine somebody coming into range of both of those things, the the bull and this, is their minus one to wound and they're striking last. Oh, boy. Oh, just uh, call the striking game. Striking last, 
minuses to attack. Oh, There's some good stuff. That is great stuff. But yes, yeah, so let's talk some strategies and battle tactics yeah. because what this book has is some pretty good ones. I'll try and take my bias out of it. It doesn't land in the realm of like Daughters of Cain, but they're good. These are pretty reliable for yes. the most part. That's what we were looking for. Funny, we just had that conversation with Tyler about book what, strats, what you take and, you know, yeah. book tactics. So Well, and this is a book where you're taking Galatian champions anyways. Right. Uh, why don't you talk about the first one? You just used it. Protect the Herdstone. It's real good. It, I don't want to say it's a piece of cake, but it's fine. When the battle ends, you complete this if there are no enemy units within nine inches of your Herdstone, which is a relatively small area, all things considered. And the Herdstone is not affected by a rule that said that you can't use the scenery rules, so you just can't have it be destroyed. Mm-hmm. This is a good one. Okay. And then we have Desecrating Brayherd. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if you control two or more objectives, and those objectives are contested by any friendly Brayherd units. Imminently doable. Yes. Especially if you have a couple of shamans, one of them having Tunnel Master, right? Woof. A great Bray Shaman with Tunnel Master is gross. Then you've got Flanking Werherd. I really don't like this one. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If there are two or more friendly Warherd units on the battlefield, wholly within nine inches of the battlefield edge, why would you be there? It's Warherd, yeah. Well, that's not where the fighting is Well, either, that's what I'm saying. That's why you're not going to be in that part of the board, right? Right. Exactly, yeah. Not a fan of that one. Okay. And then the last is Age of the Beast. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If two or more friendly Cygors or Gorgons are on the battlefield, and none of those units have a number of wounds allocated to them that exceeds half of their wounds characteristics, I would think that'd be kind of difficult because if you've got those kind of units on the board, especially Gorgons more than Cygors. Gorgons are very healy, though. Yeah, that's true. But I think your opponent's going to focus on them. Yeah. And so you got to have two or more as well. So that's a pretty big investment. What if I told you the Gorgon I used in my last game ended the game with no wounds allocated? I would believe you, man. Three of these are specific to types of units. They're yes. unit type locked. So, a little bit Well, and you can do flanking Warherd with Cygors and Gorgons, you know. Oh, sure. They're, yeah, if you wish to do so. Absolutely. Yeah, right. you can, you you go can right make ahead. the choice. Yeah, go ahead. Why you're keeping your Cygors at the edge of the battlefield, uh, maybe it's not a terrible idea. I don't, uh, think, I don't sure. think it's very good, but... <laughs> okay. Here we go. Tactics. Tactics. There's a couple of very achievable ones here. In the Shadow of the Herdstone, you pick one enemy unit within 12 inches of your Herdstone. You complete this tactic if that unit's destroyed during this turn. If they're that close, you typically want to be destroying them anyways. (laughs) It says it's usually someone trying to send a monster in to go get it. Yep, absolutely. Then we have Bestial Wrath. You can pick this battle tactic only in your first or second turn. You complete this tactic with your general and two or more friendly Beasts of Chaos units are within three inches of any enemy units at the end of this turn. If you have a fighty hero, this is super doable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, the tough bit is, is it's at the end of your turn, and chances are you've also wanted to have destroyed everything <laughs> that you were with at the, you know, in your turn. It's fine. Yeah. Rampaging Beast Herd. I use this one to great effect. Pick one objective controlled by your opponent. You complete this tactic if you control that objective at the end of this turn, and that objective is contested by a friendly unit that has 10 or more models. This is where Gore and Ungore really come into their own. Sure. Absolutely. Certainly you could do it with a big unit of Bestigors. This is where your Bray Herd stuff really earns their keep. Zangor, also quite good at this. That makes sense. Obviously impossible with Warherd and anything <laughs> Thunderstorm. Right. Okay. Reduce the Savagery. Pick one end enemy unit on the battlefield you can complete this tactic if that unit is picked as the target of a heroic action from the rituals of room battle trait and it's destroyed during this turn i wonder what they mean Hmm. there's four rituals and Hmm. one of them does damage it does d6 mortals doesn't Hmm. it It if i remember yeah i wonder if that would be useful Hmm. 
You would only use this if you know that it's automatic. But it's there. Correct. And yeah, in the right situation, you can just dump it right in. So Next up is Trample Demulch, one that I find to be deeply situational. You complete this battle tactic if any enemy units are destroyed this turn by mortal wounds allocated in your charge phase. Your Bulgors, your Doombull, your Chariots, all doing that. Again, another one that I wouldn't consider unless I knew... You know, if I've got chariots for example like three of them or something mm-hmm. and i'm charging you to three storm casts that are just sitting over there waiting for me to do so then yeah i might pick this because that's probably you but, feel okay about yeah it. that one i'm comfortable right? you're doing your number of charge rolls mortals on four ups fine even a unit of six bulgors you know it's gonna do six mortal wounds sure but that's not guaranteed right <laughs> and the number of times you're gonna be charging into something that has six wounds left is it's doable it's very situational just like reduced to savagery eight of the wilderness is the last one you complete this tactic if there are two or more friendly beasts of chaos units in cover wholly outside of your territory at the end of this turn it's fine you need terrain that allows you to do that yes but it's fine it's doable it's certainly a late game objective where if there's kind of a weird scramble you can do or if you're running game spawn for example you could grab something mm-hmm. and then put it into cover put a somewhere. chaos spawn over there right yeah. you could or whatever you want to yeah for sure they're good they're doable they give you options especially when you look at what you can score in the current handbook right with galatian champions mm-hmm. you really do have in just about every list you could write, you are going to have access to every battle tactic that you can possibly score. That's real good. There's nothing you can really complain about in that respect. As long as you're allowed to use them in the event that you're going to, you're going to feel like you have quite the advantage in what amounts to... You have 12 battle tactics in your pocket, and you just have to find five of them. Mm-hmm. Trample to mulch might not happen. But there's two if, or three if, others that will. If the situation sets itself up in a place where you can do it, then cool, you take it. Right. You've got the one where you got to destroy something with the D6 mortal wounds. Cool. If the situation shows up where you can Pop you it. can do it, you take it. You Again, know. you have the options. That's yeah. the main thing. There's nothing stopping you from sequencing the events in such a way where you know you pull the hero away from where it is, out of its buffs, and then try and kill mm-hmm. it with that ritual. It's really good. There's some good flexibility with that. So, you know, Dan, what are your final thoughts here? I love what they've done for beasts. I Mm -hmm. think this is great. It makes them definitely a competitive build. What my concern is, and this is for somebody playing at my level, it's very complex. It's exceedingly. How many times did I say, time out, Dan? That's not. (laughs) So that is, again, my concern. This isn't a, I'm a new player, pick up and play beasts thing if you want to be successful with it. There's so many moving parts. You know, you just think about, well, I'm going to take a cockatrice because this is going to make it. Well, yeah, that's fine. But now you have to think about how that works with all the other units you're going to put. Where you're going to put it. Yes. When are you going to use it? Are you going to, your base is you're going to take two Bray Shamans, right? That's, That's my base, recommendation, right? yes. Okay, but now you still have to think about what are you going to do with them? Which spells are you going to take? You know, all those other interactions that have to go on. And it's just a cautionary thing from my perspective is it's really cool to look at all the things they can do, all the really cool stuff. And of course, as usual, I will tend to some weird build of you know, whatever it is just because it looks fun. It looks like it would be okay. But if you're building competitively or if you're thinking of picking this army up, you just need to think about the fact that there is a lot in here and you're going to need to, I think, incrementally learn this army and learn what each unit does. Try it out. See what happens. Try out a few spells. Try out a 
couple of artifact combinations, those kind of things, to see what's going to work and how all the moving parts of the book work together. So yeah. That's kind of my thought on this one. I will echo that sentiment of the skill floor is incredibly low. This is a book where things can go wrong quickly. And they can go wrong at list building and at deployment. Mm. Learning and understanding when to place things off board, when to bring them on, where to bring them on, when to say you're charging, when not to be charging, how you try and bait your opponent into what directions, all of that being fully dependent on what mission are you playing and who are you playing against. I suppose you could build your list into such a way where you're a two drop, right? You basically go two battle regs and you go that way where you can kind of dictate some of that. And that's a good way to go. But if you're trying to go one drop, I think you're wasting your time on this book. Mm -hmm. You are going to want to be bringing so many units to the battlefield because of really how inexpensive your things are. And that is understanding that I feel that a number of these units are overpriced to begin with and are going to see a you know some reduction going forward. Now, things like Minotaurs are probably right where they need to be. Sure. There are units that are probably going to come down. Bestigors at 220 probably isn't right. If you put them at that 200 mark, I think they become much more competitive with their immediate peers in Bulgors and Dragon Ogres. And a small change like that changes the number of units you're going to take and how you're going to do them and which things you're going to make battle line and what your command trade is going to be and, and all that fun stuff. If you made the wrong decision in what units to put off board and when to bring them on and how you were going to apply them, that's the game. That gets into a point I was going to make is that some of the things you see in this book you get really excited about when you first see them like, oh, my whole army can come, you know, go start off the board. And you're like, oh, cool, awesome. But then you have to start thinking about, well, wait a minute, it's not that simple. What does that mean? Yes. Why would you do that? Because if you deployed everything off the board against, let's say, a dragon list, and they chose to go first, and they moved their dragons up, and they charged over the top of the screen, and they got into your herdstone, and they destroyed it, cool, you have no additional rend the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, If you're playing an army that's faster than you and can block off huge parts of the board and you can only come on from disadvantaged areas, well, that was a game that you probably wanted to be on the board to begin with. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you were playing an army that is markedly slower than you, throw a lot of things off the board. But sure. which ones are the right choices? You can't yes. cast when you're off the table. What wizards do you keep on the table? Where do you keep them? You know, mm-hmm. what? And a lot of this is just going to be playing and finding out how these things work. You know, mm-hmm. you played your first game, you probably learned a lot from that first game. Other people are going to do that. You're going to watch battle reports, whatever it is, to try to eke out and start, you know, taking notes on the things that seem to work, but not only that they work, but how they work yeah. and what makes them work. Because the Bulgors are pretty awesome to think about a unit of six of those coming in from a board six, edge. Unit of nine, yeah, whatever. Awesome. That's awesome. But now you have to do certain things to make them more effective. You want to get the maximum and optimize them. There's this list of three or four other things. You can't just drop them in and say, yeah, Woo. there's other stuff, right? What units are they coming in with? When are they coming in? Where yes. are they coming in? If you don't make the charge, what are your risks? It's difficult to convey, you know, because I've been playing some version of Beastmen in some capacity since I was 15 years old. I cannot begin to tell you how difficult that decision-making can be. Now, in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing, who has some experience, who knows what the missions are, who understands the matchups, who know what the right units to keep off board are, what the right units to keep on board are, understanding what they expect their opponent to expect them to do, the things that they're going to try to avoid in that, you are in for some very frustrating games. <laughs> sure. And that's pretty cool. The fact that this is really a debuff army now mm-hmm. is super cool. That fits with the lore, right? How often do I talk about these right. kinds of things? Right, right. You know, where it is this entropy, they are this kind of unruly, overwhelming, just 
primordial natural force that is just so difficult to stop, but individually they are so weak. Yep. That's really cool. I think you're going to see some really cool lists. I think you're going to see some really neat expressions of play style mm. in the way that people approach this. I think all four sub-factions have merits and are good. I think the three you know, kind of sub-sub-factions, right? Your Bray Herd, your War Herd, your Thunderscorn all have merit in some way, shape, or form. I think Thunderscorn are a little tougher to justify right now, but you know, that's not the point. The Ungor Raiders is really the only War Scroll that we talked about that yeah. I went no cool don't even bother the underworld's warband if you can get your hands on it is pretty good okay you know it's a basically a built-in wound dump off for a bray shaman mm-hmm. with rituals of ruin right okay. like it's and it's cheaper right. you know effectively right you know you, you're still counting a hundred point shaman but you're getting two wound models mm-hmm. that have the keyword all heard like yeah that's pretty good cool really excited to see what people do with it i don't think that this is going to be a book that's going to right away start contending for event wins Mm. i think this is going to be much closer to sylvaneth where you're going to see from a large-scale perspective a lot of four and ones Mm. and then you're going to break through at some point with a five and oh but it's going to take people with a lot of time and a lot of experience and maybe a couple of points adjustments here or there before someone i think gets an event win with this book okay Thanks, man. That was good. I really enjoyed going through this book. It's a fun one. It's really, really cool. It's very creative. It's very complex. There's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of synergies. Some are obvious, some are not. And then until you put it on the board, it's difficult to really appreciate how they all come together. As I was reading through it, and I finished, it was like, how many times did I say, wow, while I was reading this book, just seeing the things that yeah. could happen, the potential. It's funny because oftentimes when you have two books come out, right, one is heralded as the really good book and the other one mm-hmm. is the really bad book. The Gitz book, and we'll talk about it next episode, is excellent. Yep. And if this book had come out on its own, we'd be talking about how good it is. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it came out at the same time as another book that people are going, this is going to win events tomorrow. This Beast of Chaos book is a book that competitive players should be very happy with. There's ways to play with it. There's ways to play against it. There are good mechanics. Does my favorite thing that in the hands of a really good player is going to be really difficult to overcome. Okay. Well, that's it, listeners. Any questions or comments, whatever, please send them off to us and let us know what you're thinking. Other than that, let us move on to the back end of the show, and we're going to jump into Scriptorium. Brendan, it's Scriptorium time. We have a couple of things in new releases. We have a book called Prophet's Ruin. It is a KO book. Looks pretty good. It's a full-length book, too, full-length story. Looks like, as usual, the Flyboys are going after something in a really deep, dark jungle kind of thing. I don't know. Looks interesting, and I'm sure if you're a KO player, you would love this book Yep. Um, if you're reading. Uh, the other thing is it's Guard Week, so a lot of short stories. I think there's six, five or six short stories about Guard. Looks interesting if you're a Guard player again. I'm sure you dive in, or if you're just a 40K player, you might have some interest. But that's really it for new stuff, Brendan your thingies the only thing new for me was i watched white lotus season two Mm. the only reason was i was visiting my parents last week and after dinner my mom goes you i gotta start season two you want to start watching it with me and i said sure you know like 
hung out and watched. I was like, okay, well, this is pretty cool. And my mom ended up binging it the rest of the weekend. (laughs) And I was like, well, I wanted to keep watching it too. So when I got home, it's only seven episodes. They're an hour each. Like it's kind of like a pseudo mystery. I was told that season one was more mystery than season two. And I was really frustrating my mom (laughs) because we watched the first two episodes and like all of the, this kind of twist or that, I was like, I bet it's that. And I bet it's that. My mom just went, and it came out that way. She goes, did you like, because I was goofing around on my phone a little bit. And she's like, are you looking this up? I go, no, I'm just like. Oh, it's fun. So I got most of the big things right. There's one that I missed where I felt a little cheated by it. But, you know, whatever. Good. That's great. Yeah. But nothing too, too new for me. All right. My Powers and Thrones journey continues. Still making progress. I just finished a section he wrote on merchants Mm. and the Middle Ages and medieval times. And it's fascinating, as always, things that we just take for granted now, like something like traveler's checks or banking and loans, things like that, that there was no mechanism for that. Everything was barter until these ways of exchanging goods and using money were created in Western Europe. But it was, it's just fascinating fascinating oh my gosh man this stuff's been around for a long time somebody created it Mm -hmm. it's not just you know here i finished garrow and all i can say is wow i listened to it and i actually got a little emotional man at the end of the the book did you finish it for me right it's i really struggle to bend an audible credit i'm like a four-hour book and maybe if it goes on sale sure whatever but like well i've actually got a really interesting q a from one of our listeners about the book so i'm gonna discuss it more then Mm -hmm. but just to say that you know it was like why am i getting emotional about this is like i'm thinking then i have been reading or listening to garrow's story for 15 years. A lot of people don't have friends they've known for that long, you know? I mean, but seriously, like how many people in your life have you known for 15 years or more? Not, I mean, I was in high school, so, right, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting story. That's all I'm going to say. No, no spoilers here. I finished The Armor Contempt, which was the... 10th Gaunt's Ghost Book, and as all the others I've recently talked about, I had little memory of what happened, but it started coming back again once I'm listening, and so it still made it very, very enjoyable. It was almost like a new book that I had not listened to again. And Now, I started God Eater's Son, which is this Mortal Realms book I mm-hmm. talked about. This is just another example of why I don't dip my toe into Mortal Realms books. So it's about basically a noble hero, young man who was, you know, fighting for his family and his culture. And he just becomes embittered by Sigmar and the Sigmarites and the Azurites. And just, they've just done horrible things to his people and continue to oppress them. And that's kind of the way it went for the first little bit. And I'm going, okay, so what's going to happen next to him? Well, the next two chapters, it was the same thing. He was just embittered and he just was talking about this and, you know, something, a battle happened or something, but it was kind of the same story. And I'm going, okay, I'm going to hang in for a couple more chapters. By the end of the next couple chapters, it felt like the same story, like mm. nothing had progressed. I put it aside. I think I'm going to try to finish it, but it just didn't move. It just was stuck in this embittered environment and i'm going uh, okay i can read or listen to something else it's going to be more interesting if you're interested in that kind of stuff and it does have something to do with corn i can say that because god eater is another term for corn in the mortal realms i guess the god eater at least the characters were calling corn the god eater what i did do though was switch over to another book by Dan Jones, who who wrote The Powers and Thrones. I thought I had read the Plantagenet book that he had written, but I actually had 
when I look back, I had read the War of the Roses book. So this is basically the Plantagenes, I'm listening to it instead of reading it, is about England from the last Norman king up to and including the War of the Roses when the Plantagenes were overthrown. And a lot of interesting characters. I mean, Eleanor of Aquitaine, uh, there's uh, Edward I, who was the Hammer of the Scots, Robin Hood, you know, all that stuff you know, for people who want a time frame reference, all those things went, and many, many things were happening, but it's really good. And it really gives you a good basis of understanding why England or the United Kingdom is what it is today, because that laid the foundation for what the British Isles became. Mm-hmm. So that time frame, really cool. Watches, I did finish watching Pale Blue Eye. Did you finish it yet? I have not, not yet, Okay, no. yeah, really cool. <laughs> we were both trying to figure out what was going on multiple times, and, and the injection of Edgar Allan Poe a very young age was really interesting and very useful. Historically, it was really fascinating because they portrayed West Point as it was in the 1830s, 1840s. And it was just this little kind of military station with some log cabins and a couple of big houses. And you saw the cadets as they were. The the Corps was very small then, probably a couple hundred cadets. Politically embattled. Oh, yes. Yeah. People just weren't sure, and it was very political in terms of who went. People basically sent their sons to West Point as a finishing school, not so much for a military career at that point. Really cool, and it was neat because Poe in real life was a cadet at one point at West Point. So really, really good, and the ending was really cool. The, the way they stopped. And I look forward finished. to it. You should. I think you really enjoy it. I did not know there was a Fifth Born movie. I'm okay. admitting this, you know, in public. I knew there was a fourth movie with Jeremy Renner. It was okay, but it really wasn't the Jason Bourne story. But there's a fifth movie they made with Matt Damon coming back as Jason Bourne. And I'm watching it while I'm working out. It. It's really good. The other thing that's pretty significant is Cindy and I have been wanting to watch Yellowstone just because, you know, people have been talking about it. Yeah, I've heard it's good. And it's Going into its fifth season now, I think. We didn't want to get the whole thing, you know, so we just got the first episode just to see what it was like, and that was pretty good. And so we ended up buying the rest of the first season. So I think we're going to watch it. We're, we just finished uh, episode two. And for those who have heard or have thought that this is anything like that old show Dallas, it is nothing like Dallas. I'm just telling you. The acting is so much better. The writing is more complex and the story is much more nuanced. There are all kinds of things that you absolutely can relate to current time. It's very, very well done. And I'm very happy to see Kevin Cosner because I always liked him as an actor and I am really happy to see him in a role like this later in his life, you know, that he could fill something like this and do what he does for the show. So I've really enjoyed it. We both have. So we're going to continue to watch it. Cool. That's it for me. Moving on to this or that. Brendan, what are we doing today? I'll have you go first. Okay. First question. I think I know the answer, but let's ask it anyway. Gores or best of gores? In a vacuum, gores. Okay. Yep. And I know you were a big best of gores guy before. You really... Yeah, I own a hundred best of gores yeah. of some variety. I've got corn gores. I've got pest gores. I've got old metal gores. I've got new plastic gores. Like, I've got a few of them. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask. Endless spells. Are we going with the birds or the horn? Probably the horn. 
Now, granted, in the right matchups, the the birds are going to be worth their weight in gold. Mm -hmm. But I think the horn for 30 points, right, you don't have to build your list around it. You can take it, and it's frustrating in a way where your opponent is going to want to try and unbind it from time to time and fail. Of course. It's a casting value of six, so yeah. You're going to have typically a fair number of casts in your army, so your opponent's going to have to make decisions oftentimes, where they might be spending their heroic action on creating a non-wizard to be an unbinder to take a crack at that, and then letting you, you know, cast your other sets of spells. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes for a compelling trade. Good stuff. Sports question. Two sports questions, actually. Mm. The first one is, Brendan is going to start being interested in winter sports. Okay. Is he going to learn to snowboard or learn to ski? I actually already know how to snowboard. You do know how to I snowboard. I know how to snowboard. Okay. It's been a long time since I've done it. But yeah, I learned to snowboard in Boy Scouts. Oh, wow. A long time ago. That's cool. Yeah. I, I, awesome. I, learning how to stop took me a long time. <laughs> You've never talked about it. That's why I asked. No, I mean, it's not, you know, it's something that was fun. Well, I, you never talk about winter sports, you know, other than watching sports. You're really big into that during the winter. But Yeah, I, like, well, and... You know, like if I were to watch competitive downhill skiing or, you know, snowboarding or whatever, like I'm sure there's something about that that's interesting to some people, but like the Winter Olympics are on, I'm like, neat. (laughs) And yeah, it's obviously very athletic and very skillful and very difficult, but there's something about it to me that maybe someone will really have to explain it to me to to really Mm. understand it. But to me, it just kind of seems like it is. Like if you are the better practiced, more athletic individual, then you are oftentimes going to come out on top. You know, the equipment seems largely similar, right? Like we don't talk about basketball players in the sense of, you know, oh, they have a 0.2 inch height advantage <laughs> right, you know, or when a, they jump because a wing they wear, span of whatever. Because yeah. they wear a special Nike shoe. Right, right. You know, it, the sports I'm interested in are, you know, historically team oriented, mm-hmm. right? I did right. gymnastics for a very long time and you have the individual competition, but you also have the team competition where sure. you are only able to bring so many people to right. the events. You have to have the right balance of skills to try and score the right points. And, and maybe I'm missing something, but okay. fair. Yeah. But I know how to snowboard. It's fun. Okay. Yeah. Two teams, Gonzaga's rated 12 and Marquette's rated 14 right now. Mm-hmm. So who do you think has a better chance? Not that I'm saying either one will. Which one do you think has a better chance of getting to the final four? I would say probably Gonzaga. College basketball is such a sport where, number one, the tournament is to succeed. Your team has to be built fundamentally differently than kind of like what the regular season is. But it's also one where if you have a coach who is experienced in operating that environment, the schedule is very different. Like, mm. the preparation is very different. Gonzaga's coach has been there, done that, right? Yes. Like, yeah. A few times. Okay. Shaka Smart has been to the tournament before, but not not really like right. that, right? You know, you remember his, you know, I don't want to call him miracle runs at VCU. Right. Um, but it's what got him the Texas job, and Texas has done what exactly? Right. I'm a big Zaga fan, so that's why I wanted to ask and see where we're going. And we're both Marquette fans, you know, local team. We want to see them do well. Whiskey neat, whiskey rocks. Rocks. You know, people can call it whatever it is. I need a little bit of water in there, typically. All right, that's my five. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Cindy. <laughs> we just had some. We were at a friend's house last night, and we were both drinking whiskey, and we had them both ways mm-hmm. <laughs> for us. I need just a little bit of water, so I, I'll typically okay. let it sit there a little bit. And Okay. Um, Brayherd, Warherd, or Thunderscorn? Warherd. Okay. Yeah. If I was going to make a beast list, I would do something with large creatures, okay. and it would be a lot of fun. What sub-faction, what great fray would you be building around? See, I think... 
probably the one with the psych. If I'm going to go Warheart. Yep. Yep. I'm going to go the one with the psych or specific one. Yep. Okay. And then. Quake Frey. Wasn't it Quake Frey? Quake yeah. Frey. Okay. And then what's your monster of choice? I love the Chimera. I loved it before. I just think it's cool model, the capabilities that it has. The ability. As a summoning piece, it was insane. Yes. And for the money it does a lot i mean it has an insane amount of attacks a lot of capability to do damage for the points absolutely yeah okay super bowl is next week uh, chiefs or eagles i'll pick the chiefs okay because eagles are obnoxious so i'll pick the chiefs if eagles I have are to. obnoxious yes that's a good reason to pick is, the chiefs is it the team or the fan base that's obnoxious it's both last question yes what are you most looking forward to talking about in the gets book I know you haven't cracked it open. Well, listeners, we just had a little mini conversation before we, you know, came back for this or that in Scriptorium. And I've always thought that a troll list would be so cool. I always thought that would be neat. And I remember, I think it was Meltdown one year. Somebody brought a troll list. Yep, they, I they played against like it. Yep. 20 of them or something. It was some insane yeah, they amount. they had a lot of, of trolls. Yeah. And I just thought that was the coolest thing for a git list instead of seeing 150, you know, gets. I played you in a very troll heavy list on the Dias cast. Yes, you did. You know, around episode 100. Yep. So I think that would be my build. Yeah, so type. you're interested in talking about the trolls. I am. Okay. Yeah. Well, good news, Dan. They're dumb. Good. <laughs> just code folks when you're listening when brendan says dumb it means the rules are really good just yeah. to understand they're dumb translation yeah okay cool yeah. that's it then huh mm-hmm. all right the show closed Woof. there is something going on around here something you may not even know about all right sunday announcements a lot of skirmish games a lot of stuff for kill team war cry sets the Jade Obelisk and like all the new mm. Warcry teams or Warbands okay. or whatever they're called. Okay. Those are available for individual ordering. Lots and lots of Kill Team stuff. The Jet Bike Riders for 30K oh, neat. on pre order. Cool. So, yeah, and they announced officially that Friday is the Kansas City Open, or well, sale for all of the Games Workshop Open for the US stuff. Will be Friday, which is the 10th. Yeah, the 10th. Right? Okay. All right. QA for you? Yeah, I got one. Dr. Alex Milonis asked if you could have a beastly mutation, what would you choose to get? I would say wings, Mm. assuming that they worked and they weren't just vestigial. Oh, man. I think an extra pair of arms would be kind of cool. Yeah? Yeah, I think that'd be pretty utilitarian. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Both of us would need new shirts. Yes, the truth. That's so true. That's great. Great question, Alex. My Q&A is from Terry, and he was asking a question about the new Garrow book that came out, Garrow, Knight of Grey. He was asking if it would be beneficial to read and or listen to previous Garrow stories. My guess is yes. Absolutely, Terry. You absolutely want to do that, starting with Flight of the Eisenstein, and then the heresy book called Garrow, which has several Garrow short stories in it. If you don't read those books, I'm not saying you can't enjoy the new Garrow book, but there is so much context that you lose if you don't, because he has all these conversations. Obviously, Mortarian, you look at the cover, Mortarian's in it. He has all these conversations with Mortarian, and he has thoughts about the past, and you're going to listen or read this stuff, and you're going to go, who the heck were those people? I have no idea what that was. When did that happen? And so you won't understand the impact of those particular events on him and where he is right now in terms of his choices and what he's going to do. Yeah, I think that's how a lot of the books that are occurring during the siege Mm. now this isn't a siege book quote unquote. Mm, Right. But it is something that is occurring 
during the siege. I think all of the siege books need some level of context. Yeah. So much of it needs Agreed. something else here and something else there. And our friends at Plain and Slain have a little flow chart and a map. Uh, yeah, of, Troy's made you know, some amazing thing up to do that. So, But definitely I would recommend that. It's worth the time. And the stories are great. Toby Longworth reads, I think, all of them. And he's a great reader. He read this, definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is announcements and Q&A. Episode 116. Hell yeah. We got us another battle tome. Yep. We are going to be talking about gits. And we're going to be talking about gits with our good friend, Nick, Nick McKenna. Yep. Can't wait to have him back on board. Yeah, it's been a while since he's been on the show. He's Dan's historic grudge mate. I have at, missed him in events. the last couple of events. <laughs> so, oh, gosh. Uh, classic showdowns between their gits and Dan's night haunt and his daughters. So, Nick really hasn't played much of 3.0 he loves his uh his gloom spike gets they've all got silverware and things like that um (laughs) they're this bright and loud and incredible army so for the most part what that episode is is we're going to be doing a book review with a person who's going to be live reacting to you know all of the (laughs) cool and exciting things that come along with it so true Nick's a super high energy guy Uh, he's been on the show once before yes some people will remember him some people won't when you hear him laugh you'll know if you've heard him before yeah absolutely Uh, we're really looking forward to this not only the book but having uh, nick back as a guest so that is it brendan for this episode thank you as always my friend of course and listeners thank you as always we appreciate you coming along and listening to our foolishness and you all Take care, stay safe, and don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you are up to something. Bye! This is the end.